we go. <sighs> hey guys, welcome to episode 115 of CMD Towers Brews and Builds. I'm Mr. Commodore number 5, and my fellow host was entangled in a logic knot during the drinkathon, Big Tuck. Wow. Uh, are we. I don't think we're going to have to litigate that evening at any point, right? Are we gonna, do we mercifully just make it through that? Uh, yes, uh, even though, so Jim annually, uh, our playgroup, even before the channel existed, has had an annual EDH tournament. Um, but, you know, to kind of keep, because we do have some spikier players in our group. You know, we used to have a pro player in our playgroup. Um, and so one of the rules that we made is, A, you can only play a commander once and a deck once, so you can't play your own Thrasios deck and borrow someone else's. Um, so it kind of makes the combo players or the competitive players have to branch out a little bit, and we all borrow decks. But then the big one is that we usually have some sort of alcohol consumption-based rules. So hopefully, if you are a combo player, like if you uh, infinite combo, you have to finish your drink. Right. Um, to be able to complete the combo. And so ideally, your uh, let's just call it your mental intellect degrades as the night goes on and maybe you don't become as spikier as a player maybe you make some mistakes so there's those rules but then because me and mr combo both have substance abuse issues there is a lot of outside of the rules drinking to be had as well yes uh because it's just cat i mean you're just sitting there casually like drinking and then it's like oh you have to drink for this you have to drink for that so anyways we had our tournament it was a load of fun but the one thing that me and tuck because we were so excited to see each other because it had been nine months or so um in real life that we forgot to enforce any of the rules so we had a we had one of our groups come up from joplin we mentioned something but then the goal the, the thing is at the end of the night because we have prizes so we had like a full art meat hook massacre um out there we a had ragnar out of nowhere yeah i ended up with somehow even though i think i got second to last wait you got ragnar yeah oh my god Do you remember that? so I anyways remember, i was like i don't remember okay so the joke is we have on our other podcast that we do we do like our weekly game recaps and we didn't do one the week after which is good because i of the eight or whatever games that we played i probably only remember details of maybe three or four succinctly <laughs> So I remember I, I remember all the games I infinite comboed on because oh, I was yeah, sober for them. <laughs> uh, so anyways, we, we have some grand prizes for the championship table. But the goal and actually kind of like what we do is that everyone leaves the event with a prize. Uh, everyone leaves with a legendary that they have to build by the next year's event. So it kind of gives like a little bit of yeah. skin in the game, but not really if you just want to have fun. But we, me and Tuck completely blanked out and uh, our, our a uh, little bit more tuned group from uh, Southern Missouri. Uh, their play group actually has um, ultra budget brews from EDH Rec. We forgot to remind them at the end of the night, hey, anyone that hadn't been drinking, you're not at the championship table uh, because obviously you could still play magic with a coherent thought. Uh, so we realized that the yeah. next day. And so, yes, I think all litigation, we are wiping the slate clean. Uh, we are still going to build it. I have, I can't remember which one I got. I have like a pile of cards on my other table. So we'll have to see. And somehow I ended up with the only card there that was on the reserved list for some reason. I've no idea. I remember walking and st like stumbling up and being like, how is this still here? And everyone's like, oh, I was like, oh, I'm taking this before someone says anything differently. <laughs> oh, man. Well, guys, if you can't tell, we do have a special guest on. Um, this is the, <laughs> technically recordings might be a little wonky, but this is the first brews and builds of December guestathon. Guest member? Guestember. Guestember. Yes. Uh, so we actually have Jim from Spike Feeders on. Jim, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. You are also one of our Canadian friends, correct? I am. I'm from Manitoba, Canada. That's the Missouri of the North. <laughs> <laughs> 
a lot of combo players there, huh? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Read into that whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, so awesome. uh, the big question I have is I've never asked any of our Canadian friends about this. Obviously, Thanksgiving is kind of like a U.S. thing. Do you guys do anything for Thanksgiving just because it's like, oh, they're celebrating it. Let's eat turkey and eat like fat Americans. Oh, my! it's my time to shine. You know when you oh, have yes. that like, one fact in your brain and then like somebody asks you about it and you're like, yes, yes. That's that's me right now. Okay. So Canadian Thanksgiving is in October and it's a pirate holiday. Um, what? Yes. Yes, it is. So um, Martin Frobisher, who was an explorer and a pirate – uh, was exploring the Northwest Passage. I realize I could be saying anything right now, and you'd be like, "Oh, oh absolutely, we're like, going to eat yes. it up." I mean, and you I know? just assume that you're going to talk about like he invented poutine, and his like favorite animal was a moose, and all this other stuff, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's true, but yeah, okay, but like literally, you can you can Google this right now. This is like 100 percent legitimate. This is the truth. Um, pirate and an explorer, he was exploring the Northwest Passage, came back early, had a whole feast, and had a feast with his town, and then it it actually started 40 years before. American Thanksgiving, and it's in October oh. every year. So the question I have on this, just because I myself have gotten into, we'll call it quasi-fictional historical like cinema. I, I was like watching Vikings, and I honestly didn't realize that the Vikings made it all the way to Canada, like North America back then. So is this gentleman, was that a Nordic Viking that kind of did this? No, just a or French explorer. Just, okay. Just a oh, of course. The French, they're always over here. Uh, and also, I think I he's French. Say, don't quote me on that. If you're actually Googling this and he's not French, then don't, <laughs> don't hold me to that. The rest of it's true, though, I swear. <laughs> I'm an old man. I don't trust the internet. So if you, whatever you say right now is gospel. But listen, folks out there listening, it's edutainment. We're yeah. here. We're dancing for you. But we're also going to teach you some facts about things that no one knew before. So there you go. Bruce and Bill's your number one source for pirate holiday facts. <laughs> for Canadian pirate holidays. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, I obviously had no idea about that. Um, I did see recently, I believe your prime minister awarded Ryan Reynolds like the Medal of Honor or something really? for Canada. Yeah, he, he got it, I think, over the weekend. I didn't know about that. Oh, yeah. Well, but I'm into go. it. We're too busy uh, bereaving for uh, Stephen Sondheim. So. Yeah, really. It was, it was a yeah, you know what's crazy about that? Me and my fiance just watched that Click Click Bang movie with Andrew mm -hmm. Garfield about... Um, James, James, Jeff, Jim, can't remember the guy's name. The guy that uh, wrote Rent. Um, mm -hmm. yes. So and and you know never seen it. And I like musicals that actually tell a story, not just musical to sing. It was very entertaining. I learned a lot. Uh, but that was actually the first time I had ever even heard of Stephen Sondheim. Never oh. even heard of the guy. Um, and I saw him in the movie, and I was just like, oh, okay. Clearly, he's a big deal. Um, I don't know why, but clearly he's a big deal. And so I'm putting stock into that. And then later that night, I'm on screen rant and it's like five hours earlier. So I think that equated to two hours before we started the movie, the news was released that he died. And I was like, whoa, this is weird. Just watched a movie kind of about the guy and how he influenced the rent creator to, to get to rent. And now he's dead. So there you go. I'm always behind the curveball. You know, I saw Godfather like 50 years later, still haven't seen Rocky. What? Yeah. Shan's like a co. So uh, my girlfriend is a, a teacher and she's got a couple degrees, but her first degree was in film. And uh, she like follows much different people on TikTok than I follow. Right. Like sure. she's, she's scrolling through TikTok and she's like, it's some prop master. And he's like, if you, uh, if you need to know who Steven Sondheim is. And she's like, who is out there following a prop account on TikTok and doesn't know who Steven Sondheim is. And I'm like, yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> 
Well, that's that's hilarious. Well, Jim, um, you guys have been creating content forever. So if our community isn't familiar with it, how would people find your content and specifically be able to get a hold of yourself? Yeah, if you're listening to a magic podcast and you've never heard of the Spike Beaters, um, that's a channel that I run. Uh, we do all sorts of stuff. We do um, uh, EDH gameplay uh, where we're all over the power level spectrum. Um, you know, our kind of MO for our gameplay series is we just play what we think is sweet. And sometimes that's like right at the tippy top of the power spectrum. And sometimes it's really casual nonsense. Um, but we just do it to have a good time. We've got face cams running so you can see all of the table banter and stuff like that. We don't cut that out because uh, I think it's an important part of the EDH uh, gameplay experience. Uh, we also do... A video podcast called Spike on the Mic with uh, myself and Alex, who's another member of our group. And we do a series called Better Know Combo, where we break down one combo uh, every episode and talk about how to play it, like how to execute the steps of the combo and how to play against it. Um, because we think that that's an important part of understanding how to play. Oh, magic. absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's awesome. Um, and if anyone, you know, when, if, when Jim says spike feeders and I say spike feeders and Tuck does, and you still don't know, I guarantee you've seen one of their dice. Their dice are like candy corn. It's everywhere. <laughs> you can't escape it. Uh, you're going to see these little lime green dice, a little cactus, where the I believe the number one should be, or is it the number six? Oh, there's drama there. We uh, started out with it on the number six. We we asked uh, Chessex, we're like, do we get it with the, with the logo on the one or the logo on the six? And they said, well, you get it with the logo on the six because then you want people to roll your number, your logo, right? You want yeah. people to have a good emotional reaction when they roll your number. and. Uh, so we ordered them and we, we included them as patron sure. rewards and everything like that. And then uh, when the pandemic hit, they started having supply issues and they ran out of blanks because they're laser cut only on one side. Oh, and okay. uh, they end up with some supply chain issues and uh, we couldn't get them on the six anymore. But they're like, well, we have it on the one. So we ordered those. Oh. <laughs> and now we have two versions of the dice floating around and they are otherwise identical. <laughs> so So here's how you market that. You have the one that has the six side, and you're like, hey, guys, this is for when you play your deck, and you're needed to roll your dice, and you yeah. need the good win. <laughs> then you have a, hey, if you want to assault your opponents, here's a die that the spike feeder's on the one, so whenever they roll the one, they just get real pissed just off. Get upset. So whenever yeah. your deck needs them to roll, you give them this die, <laughs> and when they get the spike feeder, you get excited, but they get sad. Right. That's how you so, do it. So if you ever see us roll dice and then check the opposite side of the die to see if it's a six <laughs> or a one. That's why. <laughs> Even the creators and the owners of the dice are confused. Well, like they're so mixed up and they're otherwise yeah, right. identical, right? So like I just grab That's a handful crazy. of them and then I'm just like, oh, it's going to be a mix of the two. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's pretty funny. But uh, yeah, that's definitely where I, I had first seen you guys. I think I had gone to Magic Fest in 2018 in Vegas. And it was right when we had started, or 2019. 2019. Uh, right when we had started the podcast. And I remember seeing your guys' dice throughout Vegas. And I was just like, gosh, these are really cool, like, cactus die. And I kept going around to the booths, like, looking, and I just never saw any. And, and then I, I think I found out, like, three months later about your guys' channel. I was like, oh, okay, well, that's where it's from. That makes more sense. I've also oh, yeah, seen that, and I thought it was a meme from the Final Fantasy games, because in every Final Fantasy game, there's, like, a cactus guy like this. Yeah. I was like, yep. okay, that's an interesting interpretation, <laughs> yep. but what yep. do I know? Our, uh, it turns out that like the, the Kawaii cactus thing is like a big thing. And uh, oh, when sure. we originally had our meeting, our first logo was Microsoft Word clip art. And uh, <laughs> nice. when, we, like, when we paid somebody to design a logo for us, we were just like, we want it to be a cactus, but we want it to look kind of cute. Yeah. And then that was like the only like 
creative direction that we gave them. Um, so we spent like three <laughs> hours just Googling pictures of kawaii cactuses. And uh, that's so funny. Yeah. Okay, here's the best part. I literally just Googled kawaii cactus. There's so auto many of them. And autofilled dice. And it's your <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> that's hashtag that's SEO, awesome. masterclass in SEO, you know? Yeah, I'm pretty sure when you Google CMD Tower, it just immediately pulls up like the Microsoft <laughs> trash can. And then you just see your search getting put into it. I don't know. It's weird. I thought, Mr. Conway, you are going to say, it just immediately goes to a 503 error. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, if you want to find out ways to support uh, our Patreon, so maybe we can go from a 503 error message to being on page one of Google, uh, you should ever do our Patreon, patreon.com slash cmdtower. We have four different tiers, literally from just a buck a month to get you into the Discord, get you into the collective. Plus, you get a bunch of other soft benefits, like you get entered in for deck therapy, voices, um, you get to play with us um, in the uh, 40 Life at a Dash channel. Uh, you get entered in for uh, giveaway entries whenever we do those each month. Uh, so there's a lot of things with it. But of course, the one that everyone's the most excited for right now is our Jund Holiday Sweater. Of course, Jim, you can't see the green because of my green screen. It's completely glocked it out. Uh, I am not see-through. I, I know you thought I was like some apparition or something. I am not. This is technology. Uh, so we are doing, uh, our sweaters. I believe by the time this posting comes out, uh, it will be live for everyone. Uh, the sweaters are 50 bucks. It's a combed cotton. They're real nice. We only have like 15 of a few of the sizes and like five to 10 of some others. We only ordered about 70 of them just cause we want, didn't want to get stuck with too many, uh, AKA hashtag redacted bit. Um, so, uh, be sure go on there pre-order if it doesn't work with your address or if you're in Canada, like our friend Jim or our friend Tomer, just shoot me a message or shoot the main account a message. We have a workaround for you until, because I think the sweaters come right around Christmas and that's when we'll be shipping out. So anyone that shipping is not working correctly in the store, we are just going to have you select local pickup. We'll work with you via PayPal or some other payment method uh, to be able to get your shipping address and get your shipping charge. So we are working on that. Uh, but hey, get out there, get the sweaters. Uh, I've been wearing mine almost every day because it's the softest piece of clothing I own. Uh, so yeah, they're pretty great. And second thing, we uh, posted it in our Discord, but we do have our second playmat coming out. And yes, it was designed by Marketing Ross. And yes, it is a foil white stitched edged playmat. So uh, we're going to be selling them, I think, for only 25 bucks. They're going to be pretty cheap. Uh, we ordered 100 of them, just like we do all of our other ones. I think those will probably get here in the beginning of January. We're not going to do any special pre-order stuff with it, just because there's no sizes with playmats. Uh, you know, it's just the size you get the size you get. Uh, so, yeah, be looking out for the store on that. Uh, and be sure to check out the Discord if you join, and you can see pictures of it. Now, if you're already a member of the collective, but you want to refer a frenemy, maybe a family member, uh, you could refer them. And if you refer anyone, when they join up, have them shoot us a message on Patreon. Doesn't matter what tier they signed up for. We're going to give you a little something in return. Maybe we're going to sign your gold border Gaius Cradle, which does make me cry on the inside. And I will bottle that single tier for you. Oh, Tuck, you'll like this. I played against Spencer's gold bordered lands deck yeah! yesterday. Didn't like that. Yes! Very, very much upsetting. Uh, we will sign that all the way up to even giving you like free sleeves, maybe a sweater. It just kind of depends on what tier your friend signed up for and just randomly what we end up picking out. 
Now, if you don't want to sign up for our Patreon, but you do want to get the sweater I talked about, you would like to get sleeves, I think we have uh, Monarch tokens left and Reminder tokens, a whole bunch of swag, head over to our store, cmdtower.com slash merch. Uh, there's a redacted bit that legally, in the magic world, I'm not allowed to say. And of course, our audio and video editor for Bruisenbuilt, at underscore teacoats. Tyler is great. Uh, he is a big magic enthusiast. He does this because he has a passion for magic. He has a passion for degeneracy. And of course, he has a passion for audiovisual editing. So if you have your own channel or you have a project you'd like Tyler to work on or you want to reach out and maybe provide some feedback on how we can improve or what you like hit them up we want to know how we can do better because if you don't tell us we're going to keep putting out mediocre content which might be what they want they might be onto something there i might want to tell them if you don't tell us we're always going to change so you have to oh, constantly tell go. us and then we'll stay the same a little reverse psychology on it yeah but of course the free way is just to share the content you're watching and listening to because every little bit of interaction from the collective does help so Brews of Builds is our deck tech series. Since we conquered the path to 32, the 12 themes of EDH decks, we have moved on to the classic brew from day one, Brews and Builds, with a traditional episode. We described the brewing of decks similar to how beer is brewed. So we broke it down to four different categories. The first one's ramp and setting your board state. We call that grain. Grains are the foundation of every beer. They include both base malts and specialty malts, usually in a 60 to 40 ratio. This helps with the color, the taste, and most importantly, the alcohol content of the beer. Decks always need ways to grow, stabilize, and ramp your bigger threats. And just like a grain profile, they're usually a mix of staples and specialty card. And then we have how does your board interact with the opponents? We call that hops. And hops give the beer its patented bitterness and herbal floral flavors. They grow in a variety of strands and helps distinguish subcategories like IPAs. Our help choices help clear and interact with the board so your deck can ultimately do what it wants. And then we have one of my favorite sections. How does the deck close out, accomplish its goal, or maybe even win the game, we call that yeast. And I'm pretty sure we have a new record yeast uh, on this episode, And but they are living microorganisms that eat the sugar from the grain and poop out alcohol and CO2. It adds alcohol content to carbonation. Without yeast to be drinking flat sugar water, and without yeast cards, your deck wouldn't meet the goal of actually winning the game. Then we have shenanigans. This could be pet cards, synergies, Dracos in the deck that are just kind of fun. We call that spice. Not every beer or deck has them. Some decks just have one, but spice is another additive to help separate normal stock beer from a special one. It could be the pepper that turns a stout into jalapeno stout, or the addition of hops that turn IPA into a double IPA. Not every deck has something that makes it pop, but if it does, is where we talk. I feel like if this deck was a beer, it would be like, ooh, we're a lemon beer, and then you look at the ingredients, and like, lemon's like literally the last ingredient yeah. on the list. It's just literally every strain of yeast <laughs> and, and like lemon peel. Like zest, no, lemon zest. Yeah, lemon, lemon zest, yeah. Just a taste, just a taste. And then to cap it off, we do have a bottle capping. These are going to be gems, big tucks and eyes, cuts and adds to the deck that are going to be under five bucks, under $50 and a no budget recommendation. Uh, we don't know why we would talk about it, but we can't talk about mana only lands. So without further ado, let's get brewing. Um, obviously, guest month, we got Jim here. So Jim is going to be presenting Sakashima Plays Freaky Friday with Smasher. So this is a Vile Smasher Sakashima of a Thousand Faces deck. So Tuck, there are two cards. So I'm going to read off Sakashima. You read off Vile Smasher. And then Jim, why don't you give us some insights into how this build came about, if you've been able to play it in real life, if maybe this is one you own in paper, um, and just some gen generic insights. So Sakashima of a Thousand Faces, three colorless blue, legendary creature, human rogue, mythic. It's a 3-1. It has partner. So you can have two uh, of these legends in the command zone if they both have just generic partner, not partner with. Um, and it has some very cool text, especially when it comes to commander. 
Well, first off, the legend rule doesn't apply to permanents you control. That's pretty bananas. And then uh, the utility of this card is pretty insane. Uh, for four mana, you may have Sakashima of Thousand Faces enter the battlefield as a copy of another creature you control, except it has Sakashima of a Thousand Faces other abilities. So that's pretty interesting. Why would why would Jim want something in the command zone tuck that can make copies and legendary rules don't apply? What's the other commander? Well, maybe because you want multiple of this gal, Vile Smasher the Fierce. And one colorless and Rakdos, that's a black and a red for legendary creature, Goblin Berserker, that's also a mythic. Uh, whenever you cast your first spell each turn, Vile Smasher the Fear steals damage equal to that spell's converted mana cost to an opponent chosen at random. And it also has just your vanilla partner. So, Jim, before you go into details about the deck, I'm curious your guys' comments on the art for Vile Smasher. What he's holding, is that the Chaos Wand? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I'm probably one of very few people out there that actually doesn't look at magic card art when I play the cards. Oh, what? No. I, oh my if, gosh. If you asked me to describe the art on any given card, I could not. I could recognize one from across the table, but I couldn't tell you what's in it. Wait, I got it. Soul Ring. It's like a donut, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> any way you cut it, it looks, it looks delicious. So, so basically what we just found out is Jim is secretly Homer Simpson from The Simpsons. Uh, yeah. He sees Everything donuts donut. wherever he can. Um, okay, well, yeah, because I, I, I was thinking about it. Like, I know Chaos Wand. I don't think it's actual chaos, like what it does, I think. Or is that is Chaos Wand the one where you turn it into a goat? Or is that the one where you randomly flip off the top and get to play? That's Transmorgifying Wand. It's a goat one. And then this okay. one's the one that's top off of an opponent's deck. And then they exile right. until you hit... Uh, an instant or sorcery. So it is It is chaos, yeah. So I'm thinking maybe he is holding the chaos wand because this is a opponent at random thing. Just, mm -hmm. just interesting. I was kind of looking at it and it's like, oh, it's this tiny goblin just flinging lightning in a dead-ass forest. Not really sure what's going on there. Notably, I got wrecked by Chaos Wand in Vegas uh, this past week. Really? Weekend. Nice. Uh, yeah, this guy would just play Chaos Wand, and then uh, anytime something happened that he didn't like, he would just Chaos Wand the blue player and pull a counterspell. <laughs> 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 oh, <nice. laughs> next level, next level tech. He was probably accurate, guys. I'm not playing counter magic. I'm not playing yeah, control. Not playing, but it. you are, so <laughs> yeah, I <he> am. <laughs> yeah. So Jim, how did this deck come about? You know, I know there's a lot of Vile Smasher decks out there in the competitive community. I know I have one. It's a Vile Smasher Thrasios, but Vile Smasher Sakashima. That's interesting. Why did you end up picking this pairing? Well, originally, so I built this deck when Vile Smasher came out. The original, uh, or uh, yeah, the original partner pairs. Uh, that was what Commander twenty sixteen. Sixteen. Yeah. Oh, was that that long ago? That was like five. Years yeah, because that's a tracks a year. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so when the original partner pairs came out, I uh, built a Vile Smasher deck, and usually when I build decks, I build them um, to support a core idea or a core interaction. So I'll pick something that I want to happen in a game, and then I'll surround it that that interaction with cards that support it and and increase the consistency of that happening in game. And I thought it was cute knowing that Vile Smasher would trigger based on the mana value or at the time the converted mana cost of a card. I thought it would be cute to play a whole bunch of cards like Force of Will that have alternate converted mana or alternate mana costs so that it would uh you know donk my opponents for the full ticket, but I wouldn't have to pay full ticket for the spell. Sure. So that was the the main thrust behind the deck. Originally, I paired it with Sakash or not Sakashima with uh, Silas Ren. Um, oh, okay. And yeah, yeah. I actually, and you'll see when we talk about this, uh, when we talk about cuts a little bit later, we'll we'll talk about this. But I used to have an affinity sub theme in this deck Ooh, as a okay. means for cost reduction, and so I played things like Microsynth Golem that would reduce uh, the cost of spells like uh, Spine of Ishsa. 
So what would happen is I would have a sack outlet for artifacts, send my Spina Dish Saw to the graveyard, and then recast it using Silas Ren's ability. Um, so I would connect with an opponent. It would allow me to cast something from my graveyard. Microsynthicolon would give it affinity, and uh, I'd be able to re recur things from my graveyard for, for cheap or free. So that was the main thrust of the deck. So I definitely saw the discard theme throughout the deck pretty prevalent, but I didn't see a ton of payoff for the yeah. graveyard. So that makes sense that that's a little left over from Silas Wren. And I'll even say my bottle capping for my no budget recommendation it's just, it's going to help you kind of recycle some of that stuff. Because I could see that maybe, and you could tell me if I'm wrong, but I could see that maybe being a crutch of the deck is you're discarding cards, you're slinging people for damage, but then eventually you just kind of run out of gas. And it's not like either of your commanders draw cards on their own. Um, so then it's, you know, for me, I'm one of those players that I don't like discarding to discard because then I look at this graveyard and if I don't have a way to play it, it's like, oh, there's 50 cards that I'll never see again because I don't play graveyard recursion. Yeah. So it, it's, uh, you know, kind of when I built this deck, there were two overlapping synergies. One was a direct synergy with File Smasher saying, you know, uh, we are going to cast spells for alternate mana costs and get uh, Vile Smasher's trigger for cheap. And then the other one is a CMC Matters theme. So things like Heretic's Punishment and um, what's a Riddle of Lightning, where it just cares about the CMC of the card. The Combustible Gearhulk came a little bit later, and that was a good addition. Um, and so it was kind of these two overlapping synergies that said, these play really well in the same deck. They're not technically the same thing, but um, yeah, it's just sort of a CMC Matters theme all around. That's interestingly also why the deck does not play Sol Ring. Um, because when I built the deck, I uh, decided that Sol Ring didn't cost enough for what it did. So um, I wanted to stay away from it. There's only one one drop in the entire deck, uh, but I do, instead of Sol Ring, play the border posts, which are horrendously bad and you should not play them. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to play the border post game and they have gotten cut out of every deck I put them in. <laughs> they donk people for three, though, with Vile Smasher. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start using that phrase now. I've I've never heard the phrase "donk people." I'm gonna start saying that now. Like, hey, I'm just gonna oh. donk you for three. Just don't worry we about it. We say it a lot. <laughs> we say it a lot. I love it. Donk. Oh yeah, yeah Tuck's all about the just a taste. I just well, want to taste in there. Just a taste. taste. Just, just a taste. <laughs> just, I just want to taste. Uh, so from a deck stats perspective, it's something that we always enjoy doing. Uh, the deck right now is sitting a shade above two grand, but we do have Aber duels in, so that's why. Uh, I mean, very easy to, to figure that out. From a uh, breakdown, we got 34 lands, we got 16 creatures, uh, 16 instants, 18 sorceries, 7 artifacts, 9 enchantments. I noticed no planeswalkers. They got some expensive ones. There's Ugin. He, he's an 8. I think uh, Karn might be an 8 or a 7. They're up there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, uh, mostly because they had no mechanism for reducing the cost of Planeswalkers yeah. that I cast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no Planeswalkers. <laughs> and originally, in terms of the cost, uh, this deck was actually a cards that I own deck. Uh, I When I originally built this deck, I bought $80 worth of cards. Uh, nice. <laughs> nice. So that was a long time ago. That was five years ago now. And those cards that I bought for $80 at the time are worth significantly more than that now. But this was an $80 deck that it cost me at the time to build it. Wow. Nice. That's awesome. So, But there's no way you had the Aber Duels in and the total value of the deck was $80. No, no. I purchased oh, okay. $80 worth of cards to okay. add to cards that I already own. I didn't have a similar thing, but I did have a similar of bought a card for cheap and all of a sudden you find out it's worth a lot. It happened at our drinkathon. I had uh, my hand accidentally fell through the deck slats oh, on my, my deck. <laughs> and so we had to have our friend and patron single Aaron crawl under the deck because he's like a buck 35, buck 45, probably. A um, lot smaller than me and Tuck. 
It's like that scene from Forrest Gump where they like give him the gun and the flashlight and have him like go into the trenches in <laughs> Vietnam. It was very, yeah. sim- it was very traumatic for him as well. <laughs> and so I did, I couldn't really remember what was in my hand because it was a little later in the night. Uh, he brings the cards out. I had, and I didn't realize it. I, I knew I owned the card. I didn't realize it had spiked to two grand. The judge version of uh, Survival of the Fittest is oh, now yeah. like a two thousand dollar card. I think I bought it for a hundred bucks like two three years ago. Um, so yeah, that was kind of like a Thanksgiving present. Um, half tempted to sell it <laughs> that, that you did that he didn't lose. Yeah. Um, but from a CMC perspective, you know, Tuck, what's the CMC look like? H- how do we look like from a color pie breakdown? What's a little bit there? Uh, so I am trying to find the color pie bit, but we do have a main board. The average mana value is three, six, one, which is pretty solid comparative to how many top end things you have. Uh, and is there a color pie on here that I'm missing? Yeah, there, there is. It's just at the bottom. So basically from, uh, and this is something, Jim, we've started to do ourselves just because we've been playing Magic way longer than we've been creating content, is look at our color pie from what our lands produce to what the actual mana we need, and are we aligned? And so right here, it's showing that you have about 24% of your deck can produce blue, but you need 35% blue access. Your deck can produce 38 or 35% of black, but uh, you need about 26% for the deck. And it looks like you could produce about 41% of red, and your deck needs about 39 So it seems like your red's about there. When you've played this, have you ever seen where you've been maybe black-flooded and short on blue? So it's uh, it's interesting. The, because the deck is so linearly focused on Vile Smasher, the priority in the early game is to get black-red out in your first two turns. Um, so that is the reason for the overrepresentation oh, okay. of black yeah. and red. Yeah. But the mana costs can be extremely misleading in this deck because a lot of the time I'm not paying to cast these spells. Sure. Um, yeah. So although there is a mana pip on something like Submerge, I don't know if I've ever cast that for five, right? That's a free right. spell, right? Hmm. Um, similarly, Mindbreak Trap has two blue pips on it. I would never pay mana for Mindbreak mind Trap. I'm not leaving up four. Um uh, the border posts have blue pips on them. So there's there's at least probably half a dozen to maybe 10 pips on here uh, on the blue side of the pie that I'm not actually casting. Um, yeah, it, it might be a little off. I have made some changes to the deck recently, but didn't change okay. the mana base. So it, it could be a little bit off. I, I haven't played it too, too much. I played it a few times in Vegas and then once uh, yesterday on stream. And it felt fine, but... Gotcha. Yeah, it's, it's a question we always ask even each other because, you know, sometimes you do have a deck and it's like, God, I never seem to get red. And then you finally put it in online. You're like, oh, I got like five ways to make red and I need 15 uh, red pips throughout the deck. Uh, so it's always a curious one, but it makes sense. If your sole focus is I need to get Vile Smasher out by turn two uh, at the earliest or latest, you need black and red in that opening hand um, or on your next draw or you're just... Not really. You're you're already behind the curve, so that totally yeah. And makes typically, sense. when I'm mulliganing, uh, I'm mulliganing for very land heavy hands. Um, I'm looking for five lands if possible. Five lands is beautiful uh, with this deck um, because, like like you said, because the card velocity is in terms of casting velocity. I'm not casting five six spells yep. per turn um, at any point during the game. I'm maybe casting one spell per turn. Um, it's a, a much different story. As long as you can make your land drops late into the game, then you're you're set. Hmm, interesting. Well, um, let's get into this thing and start with the grain section. Uh, Jim, we always like our guests to so start us off. What card 
do you think in a Vile Smasher Sakashima deck that you've kind of put together, what's the first key grain that people should be looking at? Um, I would say this this kind of plays double duty, but uh, I really like Spine Rock Gnome. Oh, all right. Um, it's, it's not a, um, you know, it, it is a land. It's not quite as, uh, you know, sexy as a lot of other cards. But uh, the thing that I like about Spine Rock Gnome is that it's trivially easy to trigger the, the trigger condition, which is one of your opponents takes seven damage in a single turn. Uh, and it just allows you to cast uh, whatever you put under it for free, which allows you to trigger Vile Smasher again. So you can trigger this off of your opponents attacking each other. You can trigger it off of a Vile Smasher trigger. You can just toss something under it to use later. Most of the time, like the benefit of this deck is because it is like mono bombs. Um, you know, you can toss a nine drop spell under it, right? Or an 11 drop spell under it and just be like, oh, Temporal Trespass. Somebody took seven damage, so I'm going to take an extra turn. Um, yeah, I would say that that would be my first one. Uh, that is one of the strongest cards in the deck, I would say, um, just because of the, the quality of card that you can put under it. So I agree with all points you make except one. And it's like a one a, when you kind of talk about like, yeah, you know, you, you know, you drop a, like you talk about a, like a mono bomb under there, use it to, to get a vile smasher trigger. I mean, it seems like Spawnerak Knoll, you're only going to have a, I guess if you could take all your opponents, you have a 66% chance to do it and get a Vile Smasher trigger, because I would think the seven or more damage would probably happen from a Vile Smasher trigger, and then if you had an extra turn spell, you're just casting it to get the extra turn spell. Do you Yeah, ever, you're not going to double trigger. So do you ever, though, I guess my question is, do you ever hold off? When you do a Vile Smasher trigger, you get the seven damage, and it's like, I could do the Knoll, but I'm going to lose out on the damage I have underneath. Do you ever just hold back and, like, I know one of my opponents is going to deal seven eventually? It depends on what I put under it. Um, okay. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, if it's, if it's in my opening hand, as an example, right? I'm looking at the top four. You know, it's not like you can go through your entire deck and pick what's yep. under it. Uh, but a lot of the time it'll just be like a mana rock or it'll be a permanent that I want on board that's going to give me enduring value like, um, you know, Sin Prodder or Havoc Festival or something like that. In which case I would just want to get them out ASAP. I don't want to wait. A lot of the time with the things that I'm using to proc Vile Smasher triggers, uh, they also have a really splashy effect that I'm not complaining about at all. You know, like I've got something like Blast of Genius, right? That, that card's just Ancestral Recall uh, and it deals damage, you know? So right. putting that under Spine Rock Knoll, it's it's not the end of the world if I don't get the six damage from the Vile Smasher trigger, because it's still probably going to do ten damage and draw me three cards. Okay, fair enough. All right, well, my first one, uh, I mean, I'm just a dirty little boy when it comes to tutors, and I saw, I, I saw very early on when I was looking through your deck list, I saw the trickery you're doing with your hybrid mana and Vile Smasher. Mm -hmm. So uh, this one involves the queen, and... Me and Tuck. Let's go! <laughs> Three, two, one. Beseech, Beseech the queen. Beseech the queen! Woo! Two colors, two colorless, two colorless, or black, black, black. Sorcery. <laughs> that's, a, just, uh, that's it. It's uncommon for $2.60. Uh, search your library for a card with converted mana costs less than or equal to the number of lands you control. Reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. I really, and Tuck, I mean, I feel like you and I are in agreement on this. This card basically is a one mana worse demonic tutor that's going to hit someone for six. I completely agree. And I think it's funny that like this has been a card that I've always liked a lot. And my other one that I'm talking about fits this as well. But I keep putting it into decks where like it doesn't really get the value. Uh, the argument I've heard is like you put it in mono black decks because you get the nut draw of like turn one, land, 
dark or dark, dark ritual soul ring or mana crypt or whatever like right out the gates um that's also what we call magic christmas land but i think like this one when i first looked at it i was like okay interesting choice but then i again after looking at a different card i was like oh it's actually just ding someone and you tutor something um I qu and also with your strat of saying like you know you're keeping your five landers that makes a lot of sense has there ever been a time though because you are dictated by the amount of lands that you control where you really want to cast this, but you like want to hold off because you just don't feel like there's going to be something that you want to go get. I honestly will still cast it. <laughs> oh, sure. Just take just take six. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got both Vile Smashers out, it dunks for 12, right? So yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's enough. Um, if you consider the fact that like you could pay three mana and cast a creature and you're not going to get in for six damage, maybe not even over the course of the game with that card, right? But you can reveal it to other stuff. You can uh, discard it to, um, again, I go keep going back to Blast of Genius because I love that card. But yeah, you can reveal it, you can pitch it, you can do a whole bunch of other stuff with this card uh, that doesn't involve casting it. Um, but sometimes, you know, if I just got to get some damage out there, I'll just cast it anyway. Go get a land, go get a, you know, um, go get a Vampiric Link is, uh, you know, a good one to make the game go a little bit longer if everybody's kind of in free fall. But the main thrust of this deck is just pump out as much damage as possible. It doesn't matter what direction it's going. Eventually, everybody will die, you know? <laughs> just like real life. That's, it's funny. Yeah. That's, that's the same thing I told my therapist a few weeks ago. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everything sucks and nothing matters, right? Yeah, right. So <laughs> just burn it all down. All right, Tuck. Well, give us your last green card. Uh, this was another one that actually you just mentioned, uh, Jim, which is another one that works really well in this deck because it effectively just does double duty. And it's another card I've always liked, but I've never really found something except for Rakdos, Demon, and Devil tri Tribal. Uh, so you mentioned earlier Sin Prodder. What an mm. all-star in this deck in particular. So two colorless and a red for a 3-2 creature devil. It's a rare for about 30 cents. It has Menace, which I'm guessing is effectively a blank piece. But uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, reveal the top card of your library. Any opponent may have you put that card into your graveyard. If a player does, it deals damage to that player equal to that card's converted mana cost. Otherwise, put that card into your hand. So I love this. We've talked a lot about on the podcast how we love opponent modal choices, right? Like, oh, we're making you take the opponent. And I think it's also ironic that this accomplishes the same sort of damage potentially that a Vile Smasher would for the oh, same sure mana does. cost, right? Oh, it sure does. Um, so like, that's again, like I've always liked this idea of this value, but I've never, there's never been a deck that I've really liked it in. And I could see this from the turn you play it, the next upkeep, it's already going to start donking people left, right, and center, making people make choices, all that sort of stuff, which is the kind of games I like to see. My only complaint on the design, though, is I wish it was designed like Combustible Gear Hulk, where I, I wish it would be at the beginning of your upkeep, you know, an opponent may have you mill the top card. If not, reveal it. They take damage right. and you put it to your oh, hand. Sure. I would yeah. like it to where they don't get to see that you're getting an expropriate or something like that. Um, I think that would be a little bit more fair, to be frank. Because um, it is a 3-2. It does get lightning bolted pretty easy. Uh, but this actually was a cutting block card for me. Uh, but I started looking through it. I found another card. And I was like, okay, I think this is actually still good to go in. Because I think with my final capping, it's a bit of a nut card. But it'll allow you to constantly reuse everything in your graveyard. And I, I think you leave all the stuff that puts stuff into the graveyards. Because I think we could turn your graveyard into a second hand if we do a little bit of tweaking. Uh, so, yeah, I really like Sin Prodder. 
Yeah, this card is a certified all-star in this deck. I, I am nice. literally never, never unhappy to see this card. One of the things that I think is really funny is when I play this deck and against people that haven't played it very often, um, they think they're really clever by paying zero to put lands in my graveyard. <laughs> and uh, until I delve them away. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. And, uh, but again, because the deck doesn't have a ton of card velocity, it can have trouble hitting delve costs, right? So if I want a Temporal Trespass or Treasure Cruise or Dig Through Time or whatever, having those lands in the graveyard is actually awesome. It's, uh, you know, if you want to take eight to send something that costs eight to like a breaking and entering to my graveyard, uh, that's fine. That means I don't have to cast it and deal you eight that way, right? Um, or I can draw it and then cast it and get the value and still hit you for eight. Uh, and then the cheaper stuff, if they want to send it to my graveyard, that's fine. It just gets that out of the way and I can draw more gas. See, I'd look at the other way. I would be like, ha, but you know what? If I take eight, then I'm just taking eight. But if I let them cast it, there's a 33% chance, or sorry, 66% chance I don't take eight. Mm -hmm. That's math right there. 100% yeah. versus uh, 33% chance The numbers, the numbers don't, don't lie. They don't lie. It, it, don't lie. it suits don't me lie. just fine. If you want to take, if you want to take damage, uh, go, go for it. Please do. <laughs> the numbers don't lie like my hips don't lie. Um, oh. Well, Jim, what is your final grain card? This one's my MVP. And, uh, you know, oh. I, I debated making this a yeast card um, because it tends to kill people. Uh, but Pyromancer's Goggles is my second grain card. Uh, this is a mana rock. It's a five mana mana rock. And uh, it makes one red mana. And when you spend that mana, it copies whatever spell you're casting if that spell is a red, a red instant or sorcery. Yep. Uh, and again, you know, in the vein of red certified alt stars, this one is bonkers. Um, yeah. There are so many good targets to uh, copy with this. Cruel Ultimatum. Uh, what else we got here? Kaboom is another good one. <laughs> I always love double kabooming. Anyway, basically any any red spell. Uh, the split uh, split cards. As long as you cast uh, the red half, you can double that as well, um, and you get the whole card. Calibrated Blast. There's just like a ton of yeah, red spells of that bunch, I want to copy a bunch in of this. Bombs. Yeah, bunch of donks, bunch of donks, bunch of donks, bunch of donks, and the best part is, due to a recent reprinting, this card's actually affordable because it used to not be. This used to be like ten or fifteen dollars, which again in this deck is a pittance. But uh, for us BTLs, if you will, it's now eighty-eight cents. So there's really no reason to run it if you're trying to play the red spell slinger gimmicks. Yeah. So the thing about Pyromaster's goggles is sequencing can be kind of tough in this deck because you always want to front load your expensive spells, which is generally the opposite of the way you want to play it normally. Yep. Mm. Um, because if you've got mana rocks in your hand, like Sol Ring or whatever, you want to roll those out because they're going to make mana for less in, uh, later in your turn. Mm -hmm. Or even if you have like mana rocks that aren't net positive, you still want to roll them out because you kind of get a refund on them if you can use them that turn if they ETB untapped. Yep. Um, but I don't. I never feel bad about casting Pyromancer's Goggles as my first spell per turn when Vile Smashers out because it's still going to donk for five, and uh, then I can use it later on in the turn or at instant speed at some other time. Um, yeah. So question for you guys. Do you think Pyromancer's Goggles would be as good if it was three mana and there was no period? It was add a red and it was only four casting a red instant or sorcery. And it still does the copying and everything. You just wouldn't have the flexibility to use it for other stuff. At three mana, do you think you'd still run it? That's an interesting one. I think I would snap run it in this deck, but yeah. probably, probably not in other decks. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I think it really depends on what you're playing, because in some ways you're going to, I think if you sequence it, like you were saying, Jim, you're always going to want to use it to copy a red incinder sorcery to some extent. Yeah. And like the red mana is just going to be if you're desperate, I suppose. Um, 
I would, I don't know. I'd still run it in here for sure. Yeah, yeah. My, my thought was just like it costs five mana. So it is like technically an expensive mana rock. Like we rip on mm. Gilded Lotus for being five yep. and only producing three. Mm -hmm. So that's where I was just like, well, like, and I run Pyromancer's Goggles and like my Neheb deck, and I think that's it. Um, but yeah, and for me, it's just always been like five mana, and I get it. It does give me a red I can use for other stuff. But I think I would almost run it more if it was three mana, but the red could only be used for instants and sorceries, and I still get the copy. I think that would actually for me, be more playable than five, use the red for anything. Yeah, and you know, I was talking to Glenn Jones about, um, Glenn Jones, uh, one of the senior developers for Commander Products at Watsi. He um, uh, was on my podcast a little while ago. We were talking about three mana rocks because uh, one of the questions I asked him was, what what is a success? If you say, I designed a card, that card was super successful. What do you consider it to be a success? Like if you print a card and it's like, run in 70% of decks on EDA track, is that a success? And he said, no, um, it's not about the absolute number. It's about increasing diversity in that card's like archetypal slot. So if they're releasing a three mana rock, they don't want everybody to run this rock. Mm -hmm. They don't want Arcane Signet. That's why when when you hear Gavin Verhe say Arcane Signet was a mistake, it absolutely was. Yeah. Um, but when they release something cool at the three mana slot, like Midnight Clock or like Cursed Mirror or whatever, these like big time upside mana rocks, uh, in the three mana slot, it increases diversity and especially okay. color color gating yep. them. More people are running different three mana rocks, and that's a huge success from Watsi's perspective. Gotcha. So I could definitely see them coming out with something like that because I happen to know that they do like three mana rocks for Commander, and that there's a ton of utility that you can put on three mana rocks. Yeah, for sure. Nice. I mean, you could even do a black one where it's like add a black. This mana can only be used to like sacrifice a creature. Or yeah. you know oh. so, something like that. Yeah. Like th there mm -hmm. could be a lot of cool if they wanted to do like a mono block. You know, add a white. This can only be used for I don't know piddling around and passing your turn because yeah. it's all white. Gaining does. life. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, my last grain is probably for me the sexiest card in the deck. I love this thing. Uh, let's just talk about Dream Halts for a second. Just let's just <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> Three oh, colorless blue-blue <laughs> enchantment. Instead of paying the casting cost for a spell of any color, the uh, caster may choose and discard a card that shares at least one color with that spell. If the spell has X in its casting cost, X equals zero. Uh, card's about $65. So I love this card because it, it, for me and your deck, it does two things. One, it allows you to count your, allows you to donk people for a lot with paying nothing. That's pretty great. Mm -hmm. uh, but then the second thing is when you try to donk someone without paying nothing, and then your opponent tries to counter it, paying something, or, yeah, or yeah. potentially paying nothing, you could then also counter it for paying nothing. And it becomes <laughs> yep. this discard battle of, do you have the matching color in your hand, and how much of your mm -hmm. hand are basic lands or artifacts? I absolutely love this thing, because for me, it's only a win for you, and you know what? If one of your opponents plays a free Atraxa or Jace the Mind Sculptor or Liliana, it's like, hey, good for you. You, you did it. Yeah. Great. I'm going to donk you for 12 next turn. Let's go. Yeah. Well, and then also, like, who runs two A-drops in their decks? Not a lot of people, actually. <laughs> Once you get up to the top end of the, end of the, uh, like the curve, people are unlikely to have two matching yeah. bombs in their right. hand, you know? This deck, though, uh, quite frequently will have two six drops or two seven drops. <laughs> well, so you you don't have to match the CMC. You just have to match the color. Or match the color, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if, if they had, like, a counter spell, they could discard counter spell, play expropriate for free. That's my kind of play right there. 
Notably, uh, it uh, disproportionately disadvantages uh, five-color decks um, because, again, oh, you're less sure. likely to have matching color cards in your hand. And uh, artifact decks. Yeah, exactly. I've played this with artifact decks at the table, and who oh boy, they get sad. They're the <laughs> only one paying full ticket for their spells. <laughs> well, guys, uh, we are not sad because we're happy, and we're moving from the grain section on over to the hop profile. And Big Tuck, I want you to start. Why don't you give us your first hop card that you think would be uh, worth talking about in this deck? Uh, you brought this up earlier because this card would normally confound me. You brought this up at the top of the cast. And uh, Jim, you'd be mentioning this, but Logic Knot is a really, really interesting and fun card to play around in here. <laughs> uh, X, blue, blue for a common instant. It's about five cents and it's got delve. So each card you exile from your graveyard while casting the spell pays for one. And it's counter target spell unless it's controller pays X. So one thing I really like about this, and Mr. Combo and I have talked about these sort of like counter spell pay X. And it's really like, it, it can go to the player saying like, well, is it worth it to tap out and all these other things, right? It kind of makes them think. What I like about this one is you just make this arbitrarily large. Who cares if they can, can't pay for it ever unless they're playing some sort of infinite mana thing? Like yeah. Logic Knot for 12 is just yeah. equally as good, or is better in this case, than Logic Knot for four at the same, at the same mm -hmm. rate, right? It gives you something yeah. to do with your graveyard if people do like take sin prod or damage or some of these other things. Um, it's instant speed, so you get the trigger off a of Vile Smasher, obviously. Just a really fun design space to put in these like giant X donk cards. So something we do with our guests all the time uh, is we always ask, uh, A, uh, has this ever worked like you wanted? And B, has it ever backfired? Uh, so now here I am to ask, A, have you ever logic nodded for like 20 on a soul ring? Um, and has Logic Knotted ever backfired because you delved away your whole graveyard and they countered your counter? Uh, so I have um, done a few things like that. Uh, countering counter actually doesn't matter uh, when I'm countering it for 20. Still get the Vile Smasher trigger, that's why it's in the deck. Um, but I have uh, uh, countered an arbitrarily small spell with an arbitrarily <laughs> large X value to kill people. Nice. Um, especially yeah, like when that. it's down to 1v1, when you're heads up near the end of the game, you top deck Logic Knot and you're like, this is great. I just have to sit and wait until they do something and it doesn't matter what they do. Like I'm going to cast Kadama's reach. And you're like, logic, not for 20, you're dead. <laughs> and then they're like, wait, I'm going to Supreme verdict. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, sadness. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it actually doesn't matter. You yeah, can still you target can't... Supreme verdict. Yeah, true. Oh, that's but it fair. just doesn't counter it. Yeah. But again, it doesn't matter. That's not why you're doing yeah, it. It's on cast or... And that's actually going to lead into mine when we talk about that in a sec. Well, so you wouldn't be able to count. You wouldn't be able to cast Logic Knot with Supreme Verdict on the stack because it's uncounterable. Spell can't be countered. You can, you can, uh, you can target Supreme Verdict with Logic Knot, but when Logic Knot resolves, it doesn't counter. Oh, Verdict. I just figured it was an oh, invalid I didn't target. Know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I thought you just couldn't cast counter spells. Yeah, it doesn't oh. have hexproof or anything like that. So yeah, 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 cool. cool. Well, uh, Jim, I, you you kind of teed it up. What's your hop card? Okay, so we're talking about Disrupting Shoal. Yeah, we are. Um, this card is wild. So we just talked about um, being able to cast counter spells targeting uncounterable stuff. Yep. This is a different flavor of that. And if you're ever, uh, if you're familiar with uh, Pyroblast, this came up on our gameplay episode um, two weeks ago, uh, where I cast Pyroblast targeting a Necropotence. And for those of you unfamiliar, Pyroblast says you can counter a spell if it's blue uh, or destroy a permanent if it's red. Now, what oh, that yeah. means is that you can target anything, but it only does something if, if the conditions red. are met. Huh. Now, um, Disrupting Troll has the same wording. So you can target a spell with any converted mana cost on the stack, which means you can pitch <laughs> any card to Disrupting Troll in response to any spell that somebody casts, right? So 
what this allows you to do is when somebody's just you know to taking their turn or whatever you can be like disrupting shoal i'm going to pitch temporal trespass for 11 and it will trigger vile smasher for 13 <laughs> for free <laughs> <laughs> it yeah, is discard a card deal 13 damage and then people are like oh and my spells countered and they're like no you can keep your spell just take 13 <laughs> oh my gosh take, keep it so the you whole that, the whole shoal cycle is like that yeah yeah the whole shoal cycle is like that um but disrupting shoal just has a really interesting like rules loop it's not really a loophole it's like a corner case where you wouldn't like ever do this if you were playing magic correctly but if you're playing vile smasher sakashima magic it's almost always like correct to just pitch something big in response to a spell to proc Vile Smasher. I'm not going to lie. That kind of sounded like a band name, like uh, the Vile Smasher and the Sakashimas. Um, yeah. It sounds yeah, terrifying. Like uh, yeah. I don't like it because it seems like lots of burning is going to hit my face. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. Well, my second one, because uh, I had Disrupting Shoal as well, I like this because this is a true hop card, but it is so... I could see how this would be great for probably your playgroup, Jim. It, you know, you guys seem like you have some experienced players, probably people that have been in the game for an extended period, probably have duels of some way, shape, or form. They don't have to be Abers, but they could be Shocks or, or whatnot. So Massacre seems like a very oh. cool card that probably works a lot in your group. I don't know if it would work, Tuck, in the Kansas City group, if we would always have someone with a Plains, but Massacre, yeah. two colorless black-black sorcery, if an opponent controls a Plains and you control a Swamp, you may play Massacre without paying its mana cost. All creatures get negative two, negative two until end of turn. The reason I really like this deck is, Jim, your deck is very similar to how I build my decks. I build it with an idea or a commander in mind, and I'm going to take all the cards and they are going to culminate around that thought or idea. <laughs> with that, though... With decks like this, where you are very, you need your commander, and it's not like you're winning through red zone damage, you're winning through other means, your number one menaces is go wide. Token decks, probably, if they go quick, destroy you. So something like Massacre, that potentially you could cast for free, and yes, you could donk someone for four, but I think it's just more important to do the all creatures get negative two, negative two for no mana investment, because you could even spend all of your mana for your first spell, getting the big Vile Smasher thing, then hey, for free, I will go ahead and do this and do the negative two, so that way I maxed out my turn. And most importantly, Vile Smasher is a two three. Yep. Ooh, there you go. So it always so lives. Not only does it clear Still the board, alive. it will live. One one thing I will say about um, mana bases though, even without um, alpha, bit or advised duels, <laughs> I will say that Massacre and uh, the other one Submerge are getting worse over time. Um, I would I would suspect that if you were to do some sort of data, and maybe I'll reach out to EDHREC and see if they want to do an episode about this, but my prediction would be that um, mana bases are getting more singleton over time. I do think that people are moving towards more colors because mana bases are, um, it's cheaper to make good mana bases than it was three, four, five years ago. Um, the recent sets, duels, have been very good, and they've been reprinting, like, things like the Battle Bond Lands. You know, if you play a five-color deck, you can pick up one copy each of the Battle Bond Lands and end up with, like, a very good mana base with Battle Bond Lands, Shocks, and the rest in basics, you know? Yeah. Um, so I would suspect that if you, if you like, plotted it out over time about how many unique lands are in an average deck, I would say that that number is going up over time and Submerge is getting worse because fewer of them have land types. Oh, interesting. Hadn't thought of that. I mean, I've always looked at these cards and I've always seen it as way too risky 
for my taste just because of our playgroup. Um, and it was more because they did a lot of what I call the bad dual lands. So the intertapped or scry lands, stuff like that. Guild gates, um, or it's basics. And so it's like, man, I don't want to depend on you. Even like forest walk and stuff isn't something we really do a lot in our playgroup unless you're going to play that new uh, card from Modern Horizons 2, uh, Yabima, whatever, Cradle of Growth. Um, yeah. So well, that's interesting. Yeah, that would be that'd be cool stat to see, like when Submerge and Massacre came out. How many decks maybe they were in roughly at that time, and then just over time, how do they just deplete, deplete, deplete to where maybe they are under a hundred decks now or under five hundred decks? And mm -hmm. actually, I love I'll, I'll hop in on this because Submerge was going to be my second pick. So since we're talking about oh, it, perfect. anyways, I can just like read out what it is. Four colorless and a blue. If an opponent controls a forest and you control an island, you may pay it without paying its mana cost, and you just uh, put a target creature on top of its owner's library. I actually like Submerge more than Massacre. I'll actually be talking about Massacre a little bit later for that exact reason that Mr. Combo was just discussing. Of I think you're. I think the chance of you playing a, an opponent that has a forest um, and you controlling an island in this certain matchup is more likely to happen. Uh, but I think they're kind of interchangeable to some extent of like, if your meta is more token dependent, then Massacre is probably better. If you're playing things that are more commander heavy or like more big Voltron-y stuff, Submerge is probably a little bit better. Um, I just like Submerge a little a little more for the forest than the planes. Well, what does it do? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you put target creature on top of its owner's library. Yeah, I, I would say that it's almost a certainty based on the games that I've played in blind metas and in my meta it's almost a certainty that one of your opponents will have an actual factual forest out. Yeah, I can imagine that. I, I will say, though, I also think Submerge, though, has inherently gotten worse ever since they got rid of the tuck rule um, with mm -hmm. uh, Legends. Because I was about to say, I mean, man, instant speed for free, your vampiric tutoring. Okay, your commander goes on top of your library. What do you want? Do you want your commander on top that you get to draw it? Or do you never want to see it again? You don't really get that luxury anymore. Um, yeah. God, those days sucked. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was rough. All right. Well, Jim, I think you're the last one. What is your final hop card? Oh, boy. It's a spicy one. Um, the card that I'm picking is Psychic Battle. Oh, oh, God. Sure, yeah. Psychic Battle is a mess. It's actually a hot mess. Uh, it's a five-mana enchantment, three blue-blue. Whenever a player chooses one or more targets, so it triggers whenever somebody targets something. Each player reveals the top card of their library. Player who reveals the card with the highest mana value may change the target or targets. If two or more cards are tied, target remains unchanged, and changing targets this way doesn't trigger abilities of permanence named Psychic Battle, which prevents it from triggering off of itself. This card is a mess. Basically what this <laughs> means is, uh, you know, you cast Lightning Bolt on my Birds of Paradise, Psychic Battle triggers, we all flip the top card, we reveal, we don't exile them. The person who flips the biggest card gets to reselect the targets or leave it the same. Uh, and the cards stay on top. You just get to, until somebody draws, <laughs> right? Or fetches or whatever. Sure. Um, so the cool part about this is, uh, you know, I you would be shocked at how many things actually target um, time stretch targets. <laughs> um, there's a whole lot of cards that target, and uh, this actually uh, provides counterspell protection for stuff because counterspells target. Oh, interesting. Um, so whenever you, uh, whenever somebody counters something, you can just redirect it to counter something else. Um, and yeah, people can roll the dice with this card and one that I'm going to talk about later. Um, it's the kind of thing where it doesn't work every time, but I'll win this flip probably 60 to 70% of the time after it's out. Wow. 
That's pretty good. 60 to, um, 70, 60 to 70% of the time it works. Every yeah. time. <laughs> and I mean, on the balance, that is enough to totally throw the, the momentum of a game in your direction, you know? And Psychic Battles um, 5 in and of itself, which is a decent donk just to do yeah. something and then have some protection after that. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a bizarre card, kind of along the same lines as Dream Halls. I usually, before I cast it, I'll... Reread um, it a few times. You know, ask, I'll ask people, <laughs> are we ready to bust the game wide open? Because something big's going to happen. I don't know what it's going to be, but something big is yeah, going to happen Yeah, it could be something next. huge. Yeah. <laughs> what I really like is that you've been able to turn Psychic Battle and Dream Halls, which, in my opinion, are chaos cards... Mm -hmm, and right. you have been able to make them work in a deck. Yes, Vile Smasher in essence is chaos, but it's this isn't a chaos deck. You're not just like willy-nilly like, oh, let's just see whatever the hell happens. I don't care the result. Like you have a path and you know how you want the game to go, but you've figured out a cool way to have these cards at least work in your benefit as much as they can do, um, yeah. which is pretty great because it's always interesting to see these cards. It's like, man, you could only use that in a coin flip deck. And it's like, well, actually I run it in my aristocrats deck and it it donks here's how uh and then you kind of learn new things so that's really cool yeah so we're going to talk about another one uh when it comes to yeast so Ooh. foreshadowing well i think we're about to sludge on out of the hot profile on over to the yeast mm -hmm. and i will start this off with a card that i love so this is where uh you know i think this was precast uh joe was kind of talking about it's like yeah you know i kind of have different impressions on stuff and i kind of gave like grains hop yeast kind of mean to me and this this is a card that if this was tuck's deck i would ream him say you're a uh, you're a donk yourself this is a hops card but you're a guest mm -hmm. so i'll take it but also it's seven mana and it's an instant which is pretty stupid is. uh so we mm -hmm. are talking about faded return i think this is an oh, amazing yeah. <laughs> yeast card for this deck specifically so Four colorless, black, black, black. It's an instant. <laughs> Put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under so your silly. control. It gains indestructible. If it's your turn, scry two. So the thing I like the most about this card is, A, it's insanely overcosted for what it does. Uh, no one would ever run this in any semblance of a tuned deck. Uh, B, it's amazing for this deck um uh -huh. <laughs> let me take your best creature and we haven't gotten because the the yeast has a lot of this you have a lot of stuff that's like choose target creature or player for the damage so you can be now yeah. it would be silly for a vile smasher player to be sniping out creatures but i mean hell there could be some big fat boys on the field that you like hey i could deal 12 to mr combo's face but i'd rather get rid of his kozilek that just seems like a better idea for me so I really like Faded Return because there will be times early mid-game that you're having to pick off stuff, get it to Graveyard, do your Spine of Isha rigmarole, and then it's like, hey, I, I'm saving seven mana. What do people usually think that is? Cyclonic Rift. Let's just keep it there. Let's just see. Oh, you guys didn't do anything? All right, seven mana, Faded Return. Let me take your best creature from any graveyard, put it on my battlefield, and I'll donk you for seven. That's amazing. Now, I... And it's indestructible. And it's indestructible. I guess my question, and then I'll pass the ball to you, do you ever do this on your turn to get the scry two? I get it. They did it as a carrot, so you could try to be fair magic players, but come on. Who's doing it on your turn? I have. Oh, I have. Oh, Jim. I have done it when I don't have other options. Oh, okay. When I don't have other cards sure, or whatever. Yeah. But usually, uh, one of my favorite things to get back with this is living lore. Um, oh, yeah. Living lore is essentially like reanimating a spell. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like you get this creature to play, you exile a card from your graveyard, and then whenever the, the creature deals damage, you can cast the, the exiled spell. 
So one of the things I really like reanimating uh, living lore at instant speed after attackers are declared because you can just flash in a blocker. Yep. Oh sure. And then it deals damage. You sacrifice it, and then you like crew ultimatum somebody. Right. <laughs> there it is. It's back. <laughs> the, o- the only target. <laughs> yes. The cruel ultimatum is my favorite card in this deck, like by a pretty large margin. But yeah, I have cast it on my sp- on my turn. It's like you know, it has to be a feel bad. Right. Two, the scry two is weird. Like, I, I don't know what the flavor is behind that. It's like, I, I don't know. Do. I think it's it does part matter of a cycle. in this deck, though, because I think, including yeah. what my next, my hops card, you, there is a fair amount of stuff of, like, draw X of these cards, deal damage equal to the ones you drew, or, like, yep. things on top of the library. So I don't think it's incidental. I agree, though, you wouldn't want to cast it just for that reason. And I'll say this. If they were trying to give you a carrot due to it on your turn, I think a better flavor for black would have been uh, do all of that stuff, lose five life, unless it's your turn. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that would yeah. have been more flavorful because then it still applies to 60-card formats. Like, oh, God, 25% of my life total if I do it on their turn. Do I want to do that? And then for us commander players, I mean, the five life isn't a big deal, but it's still something to where it's like, well, maybe I do save it for my turn. That could be a cool mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for Much sure. bigger carrot, for sure. All right. So that was um, pretty spicy there. Tuck? What's yours? I'm going to save the best for last because I think Jim and I are going to go two for two on this one. But this one I think is really fun. And I think, Mr. Combo, if you're if you're building more graveyard stuff, this is the kind of thing that we're going to want to see and it's really going to work well into it. So I'm really excited that you decided to go that way. Uh, Jim mentioned earlier, Heretic's Punishment, I feel like can do a bunch, a bunch of damage. So four colas and a red for an enchantment. It's a rare for 15 cents. I also love the price disparity between foil the, and the non-foil. cards we talked about. Yeah. yeah. Notice like the cards we uh, talked about and the price of the deck. Uh, three colas and a red. Choose target creature or player. Then put the top three cards of your library into your graveyard. It deals damage equal to that or deals damage to that creature or player equal to the highest converted mana cost among those cards. So for me, I think this is obviously something that's going to donk probably someone in the head for a bunch i like that it's repeatable and i could see this kind of being a late game backup for vile smasher if there's only one or two people left instead of paying six or eight or whatever i guess it'd be seven or nine for vile smasher instead you can just kind of repeatedly do this at a disadvantage but then start burning people out pretty quickly as well disadvantage maybe he just adds lab man and just decks himself then that's it that's it just run it through the fourth, the fourth secret tech: artifacts, affinity, big creature spells, and then lab man win. And fast oracle and demonic. Yeah, of course. That's there it. <laughs> of course, um, yeah, the interesting thing about this card is that it doesn't cost you a card to activate it, right? Yeah. So that's that's the biggest thing, and you mentioned this earlier. Um, it's it's a tough thing uh, to be in a deck that doesn't have a lot of card draw, and uh, so exactly like you mentioned in the late game. You're uh, casting this, it dunks for five when you cast it, and then you can activate it multiple times. It, um, yeah, it's just a good way to pump damage out there in the late game when you just have nothing else to do sure. if you're hellbent or whatever. And I would say I'm v- I would be very anti that card unless I had my final bottle capping card because I hate just, f- what's it, th- three, four cards? That's just, it's just a lot to, to, to go through. Um but I mean, I, I do. I'm I'm seeing the the point, Jim, that you've made of well, these other cards are just doing vile smasher. It's just doing it a different way, um, and I think that's pretty cool that you've basically made over half of your non lands try to be a version of vile smasher. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Well, Jim, what is your first sheath card? 
Okay, so we're talking about Time Sifter. Yeah, um, we are. We're, you know, we telegraphed this from oh, earlier oh, oh, in the episode. Oh, 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 five colors for an artifact. That's from Riordan for Buck 82. Time, Time Sifter is basically Psychic Battle, which we talked about earlier in the thing. But instead of getting to reselect targets, you uh, get to take an extra turn after the current turn. So what it does is... Actually, I shouldn't say it's like Psychic Battle. Psychic Battle just reveals the top card. Time Sifter exiles the top card so that it's a different card every time. But other than that, it's uh, you're, everybody's revealing the top card in every person's upkeep. Highest mana value gets to take an extra turn after this one. So rather than going in regular turn order, uh, every turn, we're going to determine who goes next, right? This card is something. It, it, yeah. This is actually a card that I call out in my Rule Zero discussions at the beginning of games. Oh, because, really? Um, yeah. One of the things you mentioned earlier is actually um, it's it's really obvious and it's really pronounced with this particular card is that normally this would be a chaos card right if you assume right. that everybody is running a deck that's average converter mana cost like 2.5 or something like that or three or whatever the average converter mana cost is in an average deck yeah you would expect this to run you know it would be it's random but it's roughly evenly split it's evenly weighted right but when you roll up to the party with a deck full of baddies if you can take 60 to 70 percent of the extra turns it's like getting an extra turn you know every second or third turn right you're just taking half or more of the remaining turns in the game uh and it can really throw off turn equity and prevent people from taking turns at all <laughs> um if you're playing a really tuned deck with a really low converted mana cost you're just not taking turns the the only time i've ever seen this card out in the wild was uh a former player that we knew uh denny had this uh joy to get to chaos deck and the only time I ever saw this, I happened to be playing my Eureka Ninja deck. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm just going to take four turns in a row. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. going to keep, keep putting high stuff to the top. Mm -hmm. So I could see you definitely getting into those same sort of locks. Um, but again, like, I think, I don't know, I don't know, Mr. Combo, what do you think about the rule zero? Because I still feel like this is beatable to some extent, right? Yeah, so I think for me, uh, I will say I am probably a content creator that's the most, I, I don't want to say anti-rule zero, um, but I think the community, especially us creators, we over accentuate it more than it probably needs to. The same thing with, I, I dropped me and Jim were talking before we started recording. And I said that before I got on to record, I lit a bunch of matches, just see Twitter go on fire. Um, and, and one of them also is like, Hey, commander's not casual. Like, sorry, it's the game has evolved beyond a purely casual game into just, I would call a game. Um, and Time Sifter is one that if it was everyone reveals the top card, whoever has the high MCMC takes an extra turn after this, and then puts the card to hand, I could see that mm -hmm. being a rule zero because then you can manipulate it enough to where it's like, hey, I'm just going to kind of brainstorm-esque and always make sure I have this big one on top um, or second one down so I draw the card. I, 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 I could see something like that, but the fact that the card gets exiled and you don't have ways in your deck to pull it back from exile... I think it's a I think it's a beatable card. I think it's more along the same lines as the other cards we've talked about, like the psychic battles of the world mm -hmm. um, and the yeah. dream halls, where it's just chaos. But you have developed chaos to where it kind of works for you. It doesn't work all the time. It's not like you have a lock on the game. That's where I think a rule zero conversation yeah. potentially yeah. could happen. Like I would, the only deck I own that I would do rule zero, and I think Tuck would probably agree with this, would probably be Lavinia. 
uh, and I think turns yes, and burns. I would yeah. let turns and burns. I'd let people know, hey, this is CEDH. Like I built it to be tuned. Right? Yeah. But my my Lavinia deck because it is a hundred percent Azorius lockdown. That's all it does. Yeah, I would for no sure be con, like, it's just stats. yeah. I just want yeah, you to quit. Uh, and so I would tell people like, hey, if we're just trying to be like annoying as hell, like I'll do this. But you know, if there's not something that just inherently prevents people from playing the game, then it's like you know what. If you want to telegraph what your deck can do, I guess that's good good for you or if you want to do that. But for me, because I came from like a athletic background, so I am competitive, I don't have to win every game. But I don't feel like it behooves me to say, hey, by the way, you know, I have Patrick Mahomes and second play of the game, we're throwing a Hail Mary to Tyreek Hill on the right side. Just want you to know it's mm-hmm. going to come. It'll happen. Uh, that's, just, that's just how my thoughts on it are. But I think this card's completely fair. The card gets exiled. You can't abuse it that I know of. Yeah, so it's it's not the most powerful card in the deck, I will say. It is it is powerful. Um, the reason why I bring it up, primarily I play Magic against other content creators, specifically for the purpose of making content. Yep. And it can be kind of rough content-wise. It can be less entertaining to like knock somebody out of the game early. Sure. Right? If you have a long game and you're just like, oh, I'm going to berserk somebody's commander or whatever, and you're just dead yeah. five minutes into the game, and then it's a 45-minute game, that's just like bad viewer experience. In terms of like blind LGS play, I would probably just say, like, this is a deck. I'm playing huge converted mana costs uh, and leave it at that, and then people can do their own card assessment as I'm playing. And, and I, you know what? I think that's actually perfectly fine. That's like, yeah. hey, I'm sitting down with Kalia. It's angels, demons, and dragons. Yeah. That's what the deck yeah. is. And so when they see Time Sifter and they read it and they're like, oh, well, you're playing all like mono giant converted mana cost cards. This is a threat, right? Mm-hmm, but right. If, as long as I'm giving them enough information and context to accurately do the threat assessment, that's as far as I'm concerned, all I owe a stranger. When it comes to somebody that's trying to make content, it's a little bit of a different story. Sure. And we kind of have to try and there's like a, a, a weird rule zero conversation that goes on among like streamers and stuff like that where it's oh, like here's I, I know. the type of, oh, of tone we're going for well I'm, I'm well aware yeah. and i think honestly jim the biggest issue i have with it from a content creator perspective is the last few times that i've streamed you know it's been the rule zero dialogue and what it turns into and you can tell me if you've had different experiences but the first person that speaks sets the tone for the entire thing Oh, big because it's yeah. just like, oh, I'm going to play Neheb, and I'm just trying to get you guys to lose a bunch of life and do a bunch of stuff during second main phase. Oh, well, if you're playing that, I'm going to play this. And I've, I've always been a magic, what I would call purist, and I want to see random flip it over the top. I don't want you to pick your Reese the Redeemed deck because I'm playing Planeswalkers. Like, that doesn't seem fair. Yeah. Um, but hey, if we all just flip it over, I think we should just be able to say, hey, do we want the game to end before turn 10, before turn 15, before turn 20? And then you can kind of go off of that. Um, yeah, yeah, I think there's like an even split among content creators. Like, it depends on your playing. If you're playing against people that you think are going to meta game against you, yeah, right. Like, mm, yeah. um, I, I definitely wouldn't want to. Like, when I'm playing for for content purposes, I'm mostly wanting the game to be even. I really don't care about the outcome. Like, the outcome is is the least important thing. Like, the most important thing is getting the game filmed. Yeah, um, right, 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 right. Right, because you've got four people. It's going to take two hours of your time. That's like a huge time investment from a content perspective, right? Like we also have a flesh and blood channel, flesh and blood blitz games take 15 minutes and they involve two people, right? We can film six games in two hours. Yeah. If one of those games goes wrong, we just kill it and we move on and we still got five games filmed, right? Mm -hmm. If we spend all night playing two EDH games on camera and we have to kill one of them, that's devastating. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, because now we have to have another filming session. We have to get four, uh, four people together for another filming session. We have to make sure that we, that we maximize the chances of usable games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I mean, most of the time that's just from a technical perspective, sure. right? Like, you know, we right. want to make sure that in case we weren't running our audio recorder or overhead camera or something like that, that we don't have to totally kill the game. But um, anyway, this might be a little bit philosophical for what we're talking <laughs> about today. But uh, yeah, we like most of the time when I'm playing against uh, my like trusted streaming group and trusted recording group, we're uh, mostly just looking to maximize how even the games are. We're not really looking to like metagame and maximize the chance for winning. No, that makes perfect sense. I mean, my preference, and I don't know about Tuck, but when I stream, I try to pick decks that are different and weird. Like I've kind of hit a point in my magic career, Jim, that I'm no longer focused on building the sexiest new legend. It's more like, I uh, we we did something called theory crafting. Uh, I did theory crafting around Garza Zol, the Plague Queen, terrible okay, Grixis sure. legend. And I was like, screw uh -huh. it, I'm gonna build the deck, and I'm gonna build it to where it's infinite combo. And the only way though I can make the infant combo work is that if Garza's doing combat damage. Because I want to draw my okay. deck with a lab man, fast as Oracle win, but I will only do it if she draws out my deck. So like that's the kind of sure. thing that I've hit to where it's like It's like an eight card greasy combo or like disgustingly dripping sweaty combo. Yeah. Disgustingly uh, greasy, but the deck makes it extremely hard to kind of get to it. And that's kind of where I've yeah. hit, and that's the stuff that I want to play. But a lot of times, you know, I can't do that on stream because it's like, oh, well, I'm playing this. Blah blah blah. Ruikthar, eight eight power deck. That's one of mine. Uh, and it's like, oh, all right. I guess I got to play a real deck. I can't just meme around over here. Yeah. Oh, weird. Like kindred spirits there. Like I mean, you mentioned that our deck building um, methods are fairly similar. Yeah. The last deck that I built, um, a friend on Twitter asked me to help build an oof tribal deck, and uh, <laughs> oh. I don't know if you ever looked at the oofs and they suck. Uh, there's like there's fourteen one, of them. There's one that's okay. The, the green. Well, there's a couple. Right? Yeah. There's a couple. Um, collector oof is good. Yeah, collector oof. Um, Kitch yeah. Kitchen Finks is good. Gilder Baron is pretty good. They all do wildly disparate things. I mean, you do have you do have a grand total of fourteen options to work around. Yes, so that's a good you have start, fourteen, right? and three of them are good, and the rest of them are horrendously bad. <laughs> Sounds a lot um, like Richard with his skeleton tribal on Goldfish. Yeah, right. So I was like brewing around with this, and I'm like, what do I do as a win con in an Oof tribal deck? And I'm like, well, Kitchen Finks combo card, maybe we Kitchen Finks combo. But then I'm like, then we have to run Heliod, yep. and maybe it's just like not an Oof tribal deck at that point. It's just a Heliod deck. And then I slept on it, and it came to me in a dream. Oh, I like and this. I said, this is... I mean, our, the... our thoughts usually come in the shower. <laughs> I said, I, this is like, I'm not joking. It actually came to me in a dream. This is the only time this has ever happened in my magic life. But I woke up, and I have never included this deck in a, or this card in a deck before ever. But I'm like, for my Oof Tribal deck, we're going to win with Crater Hoof Behemoth. Oh, I love it. I love it. And so I'm like, and then this, and then like, you know, I just got the like, you know, the beautiful mind, yeah. like everything floating yes, around yeah, yeah, yeah. with like crater hoof behemoth. I'm like, we can run hero of blade hold. Now we can run everything like, O of blank. Yes. You know? Oh, uh, so, and then I'm like, maybe we expand it. Maybe we go like, O U F Ooh. and we can run camouflage. We can run, you find some prisoners <laughs> and, it, and it gives us a perfect four color commander in Kineos and Tiro Miletus. And, and the best part about it is that Jesus. your, your friend that wants to build this deck, if they build it in paper, they can use the secret layer charity edition of crater hoof because it is very yes. oof like and goofy looking. It is very oof. -like. Yeah, it is yeah. goofy. And so you end up with this oof deck that, like, it, nobody would ever call this an oof tribal deck, but oh boy, is it ever. <laughs> last I thing, love last it. thing I want to say about oofs real quick is that there's two of them that are just children in, like, Halloween costumes, which is very yeah. upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Glimmer, Glimmer Baron and Gilder Baron are... Uh, I was going to say, I'm sure you know. I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. I spent so much time staring at these damn cards, but anyway. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I have one left. 
Jim, you talked about it earlier. It ends with an exclamation point. We're talking kaboom. Oh, uh, <laughs> kaboom. I don't think I've ever seen this card. Never heard of this And one. I love it. I'm obsessed. It's got an exclamation mark. <laughs> well, now I need exclamation dot deck. Everything that's, it, that like, it doesn't need say. an exclamation point. You just need the title of the card mm-hmm. to kind of scream at you a little bit. Um, yeah. So this is a sorcery, four colorless red. It's going to do a little bit of donking, but that's not why we have it. Choose any number of target players or planeswalkers. For each of them, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a non-land card. Kaboom! Deals damage equal to that card's mana value to that player or planeswalker. Then you put the revealed cards on the bottom of your library in any order. Uh, this is, once again, backup Vile Smasher. Um, I now know that you need to put Stuffy Doll in here, so then you could kaboom your Stuffy Doll uh, <laughs> by Mr. Combo. What is wrong with you? This is your—you're just describing your nightmare. You put you put that enchantment on it, so any damage dealt to you gets dealt to it, and then it'll deal damage yep, to your opponent. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. yeah, you just target yourself, and then there you go. You're you're mm-hmm. slinging it around. So I really like yeah. it. And look. T- I'm not I'm not a big money person when it comes to magic. From like Tuck's a big person of like, well, like it's not in a lot of decks because it's twenty dollars, or I'm not going to run mm-hmm. it because it's fifteen bucks. Correct. Um, and for me, I don't choose to run cards because of a dollar amount. I mean, if I can't afford something, I can't afford something. But I'm more picking things based on its effect. And if it costs ten cents, great. If it costs a hundred dollars, awesome. For twenty eight cents, this card is bonkers in here. It's great. Mm-hmm. There's a whole class of these cards, right? Um, erratic explosion. Um, what else we got in here? Kaboom. Uh, there's another one that was just printed blast, recently. Right? Calibrated blast has flashback. That card yeah. was just printed recently Ooh. and is like one of the better of this type of effect. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely feast or famine. I once cast uh, erratic explosion against uh, DJ from Jumbo Commander and flipped Dra- blind flip Draco. Oh the- my god! <laughs> just donked him for sixteen. <laughs> that was one of my crowning achievements right there. But this card, it's feast or famine. A lot of the time. I'll hit one person for a big amount, and then the other two will take like middling or low amounts. Um, sometimes I get lucky and just rip three bombs right off the top, but uh, you know the damage is in there. You can do upwards of thirty damage with this card for five mana. Well, uh, Jim, I think you're the only one left with a card to talk about. So why don't you give us your last one before we move to Spice? I mean Draco. I mean Spice. Uh, I'm talking about Combustible Gear Hulk. Uh, this card ends games. Uh, by the time I'm getting to the point in the game where I cast Combustible Gear Hulk, people will usually just let me draw three, which is totally <laughs> fine. <laughs> Or sometimes they want to roll the dice and it it just murders people. Yeah, I think that's about all you can say. Uh, people have the option of either drawing three or they can take the combined converted mana cost of the top three cards in damage and have you mill them instead. It it murders it's very people. Strong. It's definitely, I, I mean, it works really well, but I can also see, I think this is also a pretty strong artifact of the Sealess Ren build of this, right? Like, because yes. this card's even better in this if you can sacrifice it and bring it back. Yep. Oh, it comes uh, back. But I think it, I still think like this and like the time sifters of the world still work in a vacuum without that other commander. Yeah, they for sure do. I don't run Combustible Gear Hulk only because I am a greedy SOB and discarding cards kind of hurts my heart a little bit. Uh, but it, I love it for this style because your at least play style for this deck. It seems like you don't really care if you cash your cards and get the effects. You're really just the cards there for the CMC damage. That's really its point. Um, and I've I've never built a deck like that where it's like I don't even care what the card says. I just care that it's a Kifkin or a creature. Zillion, yeah. yeah, that's all I care about. Um, so I, in that sense, even to Tuck's point, without the Silas Ren, I think it's still great for the deck. Now, if you had enough 
permanence with ETB effects. Could it be cool to do like a conjuring closet type thing and try to repeat use it? Yeah, that could be neat. But I, I think you'd have to change too much of the deck to try to make it work for that particular card. Uh, but on its own, you know, six mana, you're going to donk someone for six. And let's just say bare minimum another 10. So six mana, 16. Yeah. That's pretty decent. <laughs> that's all right. Yeah. And then it's also yeah. a six, six death uh, first strike body yeah. too. So, you know, that's not nothing. All right, guys. Well, that's going to wrap up the yeast package. Now we're going to head over to Spice and three, two, one, Draco. <laughs> it's a 16 mana artifact creature. That's a nine, nine uh, from plate shift. And it's a dollar 15. All right. I'll take the top half and then Jim, you'll get the bottom half. So Draco costs two less to play for each basic land type among lands you control. And it has flying. Yeah. It's also got domain. So at the beginning of your upkeep, you sacrifice Draco unless you pay 10. Um, that's a mana symbol for those of you that didn't know. <laughs> uh, this cost is reduced by two for each basic land type among lands you control. It's a trick though. Oh yeah. The text doesn't yeah, matter. The text is all. irrelevant. Like you just mentioned it before. Text is totally irrelevant. This is here to be drawn and discarded to, yes. uh, combustible gear Hulk or heretic festival or any of these other things we just talked about. Time sifter. No one could get, no one's going to beat this. Nobody's beaten 16 And, and you just really <laughs> pray that your sin prodder doesn't see it because they are 100% going to let you put that to your hand. Oh, yeah. Well, that's fine. Then it just sits in your yeah. hand and then you can discard it to Blast of Genius later and it'll deal 16. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Now, the question I have for you guys, Jim, you mentioned it. The 10 colorless mana symbol you don't see. Do you guys think there's any other card printed in the history of Magic, including unsets, that actually has a mana symbol in the text box of 10 or greater? In the text box? Yeah, because obviously there are the cards. Cost, there's yeah, a the, few. the cards, yeah. yeah. Like Ulamog is yep, 10. Yeah, there's right? plenty of those. Yeah. But do you think a 10 or greater in, in the, text the text box? I cannot personally think of something that would say 10 mana, 12 mana, 14 mana. I think there's, there's an 8. Because I think Aladdin's Ring is 8. Okay. Right? Is it? Maybe? I don't know. Uh, um, it is eight, yeah. But I don't think there's any tens other than this one. God, a lens ring one. is bad. Yeah, it's yeah. really bad. Oh, sorry. I met I met four. really good back in 2005. Oh, boy. <laughs> 1993 when I was first printed? Unbeatable. All right. Well, guys, that's going to wrap up the Spice Package. And now we're going to head on to the Bottle Capping. And as a reminder, this is going to be gems, big tucks and eyes, cuts and adds to the deck. It'll be under five bucks, under 50, and a no budget. It just has to be no mana only lands. So uh, let's do this. Jim, guest of honor, give us the first card you would cut from this deck and the first card you would like to add that would be under five bucks. I would say that my first cut would probably be Metalwork Colossus. Ah. Uh, this is one of those vestigial uh, pieces from the Silas sure. Ring build of the deck. It actually worked really well as a sacrifice outlet for Spine of Ishsaw because I could then recast the Metalwork Colossus from my graveyard as mm -hmm. well. Um, cost reduced off Silas Ren. Um, it, you know, it costs 11, which is great. It reveals to stuff fine. Uh, one thing that I find when I'm playing the deck is that I very rarely get to cast this for its cost reduced yeah. amount. Because I don't have a lot of non-creature artifacts oh, in the deck. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Every once in a while I get lucky and I've got a couple of order posts or I've got the Pyromancer's Goggles or whatever. But um, it's eh, I'm still paying like six or seven mana for this this uh, creature and it's very rarely worth Okay, I was just about to ask. So six or seven mana for 11 random and 10 on the ground. That's not a... Like, what do you think you need this to cost you to physically cast to still make it worth it for the deck? Probably four or five. Okay um mm -hmm. yeah. you know it's still it's still pretty good yeah it kind of just sits there it's a blocker mm -hmm. right like yeah. and so in that in that situation like 
an 11 11 or what is it an 8 11 10, or something 10. like that uh it's 10, 10. it's a 10 10 um you know the difference between a 10 10 and a 6 6 is pretty small uh when it's just sitting there as a blocker yeah uh it doesn't have the upside of something like colossus of Akros, where it's a menacing in the late game that i can just like kill people with um it's i don't know it's been underwhelming for a little while and i haven't cut it because i don't have like a ton of great stuff to replace it with um but you know it's in there it's good enough it made my last round of cuts but i don't think it would make my next okay. round of cuts well what card do you think you would like to replace it with that's under five bucks uh i'm gonna go with wheel of misfortune Ooh. oh gosh yeah i think this card is great uh because it's like so wheel of misfortune allows everybody to bid right you bid life and um the person who bids the most life or no sorry the person who bids the least amount of life doesn't get to wheel everybody else gets to wheel you don't want to bid the least amount if you it want to deals wheel. damage equal to the highest number to each player who chose that number each player who didn't choose the lowest number discards their hand then wheels yep yeah so i have a question for both of you if somebody cast wheel of misfortune in the game just average game uh say everybody's at 30 life what do you bid what's your number wheel of misfortune so i want to wheel yeah so you're at 30 life you've got like three cards in hand and they're you know whatever you would like a, a fresh grip of seven so with the way that i play my decks i probably wouldn't bid more than seven or eight i would bid five because i think that there's i feel like there's always someone who doesn't want to wheel and they're gonna because they're gonna have the win or some big thing in their hand and they're gonna probably bet like 10 just to keep just to take 10 damage and keep their hand Mm -hmm. So if I want to wheel, I think five is a decent number because there's probably someone who's going to do zero or maybe one um, just like to be a stickler. So I think that would be my number I usually go with. So I usually go with like 10 or 11. I usually like to wheel in my decks. <laughs> so the reason why I like this card is because it's uh, relatively inexpensive. It's a wheel uh, and pumps out damage as though it were a more expensive yeah. wheel, if that makes sense. So again, you talk about like, you know, turning cards into Vile Smashers. This kind of builds its own Vile Smasher trigger for a decent number. Okay. You no, know? that makes sense. Well, my first one, I'm sorry, uh, Jim, I'm cutting it. You, you kind of talked about your uh, split cards, and I think I'm going to cut Toil and Trouble. So Toil oh, yeah. and Trouble, uh, this is a split card, guys. Uh, both sides are sorceries. Both sides cost two colorless, just one side is an additional black, one side's an additional red. Toil is target player draws two cards, loses two life, and you may cast uh, the other side as well uh, at the same time as, as long as you pay both costs. So for six mana, you can cast Toil and Trouble, so you get the first, and then the second would be uh, Trouble deals damage to target player equal to the number of cards in that player's hand. For me personally, I get it, it's six, so that's six donking. If you do Pyromancer's Goggles and you pay the Toil cost, you're getting Toil and Trouble twice. There are some, uh, I'm going to call them pie-in-the-sky lines with Toil and Trouble. But for me, it's a little too spicy. Uh, I, I don't know how yeah. frequently... It's a slimy. I don't know how frequently you're going to really get the, the nut win off of that. But I do think, and I was shocked you didn't have it in there, I think Dual Caster Mage has a home in this deck. Um, mm -hmm. So Colorless, yeah. Red Red, Creature Human Wizard. You can get it for about 19 cents. It's a rare. It has Flash. It ETBs. Uh, when Dual Caster Mage enters the battlefield, copy target incident or sorcery spell, you may choose new targets for the copy. It's a 2-2. So I really like this card, just like a fork or anything else, uh, that can copy a spell and it's instant speed type stuff. Because you've mentioned it earlier, Vile Smasher, you have to do your sequencing right so you get the most Vile Smasher damage 
damage possible. But the reason I like Dual Caster over Fork or any of those just generic spells is I do think there's something to be said about having some bodies in your deck to just prevent people from smacking yes. you in the face yes. left yep. and right. Yep. So you know what? I'd rather pay an extra mana to have a 2-2 on the board than save that mana and do it for a fork. Um, it gets you a little bit more donking, and hopefully you're doing this where, okay, I could do X equal, you know, you have Exsanguinate in here. Well, you don't have enough to kill everyone. Well, let's take that down three. What if you had two of them? Is that enough to kill everyone? Mm -hmm. Well, Dual Caster, I think it might be able to help you close out games a little bit quicker. Yeah, yeah and interestingly enough, uh, that was one of the benefits of the old Silas oh. Ren build of the deck. Because Silas Ren punches way above its body weight because it has Death Touch. Right. And not a lot of people no, um, we're not taking that. appreciate just how much <laughs> yeah. having like a death touch blocker in the command zone is like stabilizing, yeah. you know? Right. right now, the way that this deck plays, it plays like like there's a Havoc Festival in play yeah. all the time. Like everybody is just in total free fall. Like 10 minutes into the game, everybody's going to be under 20 life. Like <laughs> that's how the deck plays. And it didn't always play that way. But yeah, having bodies in play would definitely um, help to kind of make that a little more asymmetrical and have everybody else free fall. I, I totally Fair agree. enough. Well, Tuck, give us yours. What's the first card you're going to cut? And what are you going to add to this beautiful masterpiece? So I do think this is a masterpiece. Uh, I don't like this card and I've never really liked her. Uh, Joyra of the get to. So colorless and is it a blue and a red legendary creature, human wizard, Harry, it's a two, two and it's two exile non-land card from your hand, put four time counters on the exiled card. If it doesn't have suspend, it can suspend. So pretty much like you can stack something in four turns later, you can get there. I think Joyra is a really strong commander because you can build around the suspend counters. What I worry about in this deck is exactly what Mr. Combo just talked about of like, don't have a lot of creatures. People are going to figure out that you're threatened. And I just feel that Joyra is going to spill your hand too fast. Like you, you exile four cards that are all bombs. And then people are going to be like, okay, we all have to gang up and kill this guy before these things pop off, even in killing Joyra or Vile Smash or whatever. So for me, I think it just paints too big of a target on your back. Yeah. One of the things I do like about Joyra is... It sets up your Vile Smasher trigger for the very beginning of your turn. Sure. Uh, which is nice. It gets it out of the way. You don't have to pay mana for it. But I do agree. Joyra, even today, it's been a long time since Joyra was like a boogeyman in the <laughs> format. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. It does draw a lot of aggro and it does make it very difficult for me to keep Vile Smasher in play. So, and one thing I've noticed, I like all these shoals and these different like color, like you can cast them, right? But one thing I, I think that those kind of give you the negative of is you don't have a ton, a ton, a ton of spells that are huge mana cost. And one of them is one of my pet cards, uh, which I think Mr. Combo gave me the okay on in my special deck, which is Worst Fears. So seven colorless and a, and a black for a mythic sorcery. You control target player during that player's next turn, and then you exile it. So for me, this is just something that you're going to dump to, to Blast of Genius or Galvanic or... Uh, uh, combustible gear hulk or sin prodder or something and then it has this also bizarre upside of depending on who's doing what it can either save you from losing the game or outright winning the game by just completely donking someone's entire turn i have a story about worst fears i don't know if it's a, a right now story but oh boy it's a story i want i want to hear it let's go let, let, yeah, let, let's get a, a minute cliff notes on it yeah. yeah, this is like probably the most memorable way that I've ever lost a game of Commander. I was playing my um, Kangi Changing Tribal deck. It's Azorius Changing Tribal. 
And uh, somebody cast Worst Fears on me. I had an avian changeling in my hand. It was like turn five or something like that. They had ramped a fair bit and they had to cabal coffers and whatnot. They cast Worst Fears, took control of my turn. Um, and he's like, okay, what you're going to do on your turn is you're going to attack me with your avian changeling. So I'm like, fine, attack the avian changeling. He's got my hand in his hand, right? So he's like, okay, no blocks. The avian changeling connects with him, deals two damage or whatever. He casts out of my hand knowledge exploitation for its prowl cost, which I had exactly enough mana to cast. Knowledge exploitation allows you to search target player's library for a, uh, I believe, an instance or sorcery and cast it for free. Uh, anyway, he targets himself with his knowledge exploitation. He picks up his own deck, searches through it, mono black deck, grabs Toxic Deluge, makes me cast it, paying my entire life total. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> And I was just sitting there. I was like, I was like, I don't even know what to do. This is incredible. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, you got I'm, me. Right? You, you, you got me. I, I can't even be mad about this. <laughs> Burned into my memory with that specific moment. That was like 10 years ago. Well, let's go <laughs> to the under 50. Start getting in some pricier cards. I don't know what's left for you to put in this deck, but what are you going to cut? Or what are you going to add for under 50 bucks? You know, I might cut Exsanguinate. <gasps> wow. Um, so I know it, it is a finisher in this deck. It is a finisher. And hear me out on this one. I would just replace it with Torment. Oh, okay. It's just a strict up. Oh, yeah. Sure. You know, um, it, it's like an easy swap. It serves the same purpose. It's just more mana efficient. Yeah. Tor Torment to Hellfire. I actually uh, put that in my Planeswalker tribal deck. Cause it's just like, I need a finisher if I can't do it through Planeswalkers and Torment to Hellfire is insanely efficient. Like so, one of the one of the things about Torment of Palefire that not a lot of people realize, it's also really efficient at very low X values. Mm -hmm. Torment yeah, of Hellfire yeah. for three is such a massive tempo yeah. swing, right? Like people are sacrificing three permanents, or they're paying nine life, or discarding three cards, or they're discarding three cards. All three of your opponents. That is so efficient for like five mana. A lot of times I've seen people and they're like, oh, I could have done something, but all I had was Torment Hellfire and I was waiting to win. It's like, no, you could have just stalled out the game for another yep. turn so that yeah. then you could go find something else to actually win off of, right? And so and if you guys aren't familiar, Torment Hellfire is X black black. It's a rare. Um, it came out in Hour of Devastation. Um, you get it for about $16, and it's basically repeat the following process X times. Each opponent loses three life unless they sacrifice a non-land permanent or discards a card. Something that does come up, there are cards like Sigarda that say your opponents can't make you sacrifice. That does not mean you get around Torment to Hellfire. That just means that option is not an option for you. If you have stuff that says <laughs> your opponents can't two, make you discard bones. cards, then you're just losing three life for whatever X is. So mm -hmm. I like it because I have been in games where Torment to Hellfire will just straight kill someone because they literally don't have the option. I think that's actually... I don't know if it killed him, but I know it actually hurt him. Uh, we have a person in our playgroup that moved uh, to, uh, Boise um, in front of me, Dan. He used to run a Cigar to Voltron deck. And it was always tough getting him to sacrifice. But I think there was one game I did to Torment to Hellfire. Uh, it wasn't game winning. I think it was like five or six. And it was like, well, I don't have to sacrifice. And I was like, well, yeah. get rid of the cards or lose the life. Yep. yep. Have fun. <laughs> you have Enjoy fewer it. options now. Good luck. <laughs> well, uh, we'll go to mine. And I feel like I'm giving you a straight upgrade as well. But we'll see how you feel about it. I'm going to cut Kozilek's Channeler. Uh, five colorless creature Eldrazi. It's basically a soul ring on a body. Taps to add two mana. It's in a 4-4. Four, four. I like... I actually think Kozilek's Channeler's okay. It's fine. But I think for your deck, Gilded Lotus would almost just be better than the Channeler. So, 
I actually think, though, with that same mindset, feeling like Wandering Archaic could be good for this deck. Yeah, one of the things I actually haven't... Well, so I did update this deck last week, but I just like grabbed a couple of things that I've been wanting sure. to jam in it for a while, which was like Thrix mostly. But I like pretty much haven't touched this deck since since Sakashima oh, okay. came out. So it's been about a year, um, year So there's a like a lot of cards. Or no, I guess it's been yeah, a Yeah, there's year, a ton yeah. of cards. Yeah. And then even that, like even then, I didn't really touch the deck before Sakashima. I kind of just swapped the commander. So this is largely untouched from when I built it originally. Jim, wait, are you saying that we get so much product released at all times that it's hard to keep our decks updated with the latest and greatest? I haven't paid attention to new set releases for three <laughs> years, four years, maybe. So Wandering Archaic, guys, is a very cool card if you haven't seen it. It's five colorless. It's a creature avatar. It's a rare. You can get it for a little under $10 uh, for a special copy. I guess the original is only a little over uh, five bucks, so it's actually not bad. It's a 4-4 four four as well for five, so we're on curve. Uh, it's colorless, so we're on curve. Nothing's really changed, except we just get a better card. Uh, whenever an opponent casts an instant or sorcery spell, they may pay two. If they don't, you may copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. Uh, there is a flip side, but I do want to pause here for a second. Uh, for anyone listening, if it's on your opponent's turn and it's the first spell they cast, even if they don't pay two, you copying it does not count as a cast trigger, so you don't just get free Vile Smasher uh, damages just for clarification, but I really look at this front card as, well, what's the one thing that could kind of hurt your deck? I get it, counter spells and counter magic don't stop Vile Smasher, but if they do something that gets rid of Vile Smasher, even if you get the one thing, it still sucks to recast it. And most people, when they're doing interaction, they're, they're holding up the exact amount of mana they need. So cards like Wandering Archaic, cards like Ristic Study, any type of tax effect where you get some benefit if they don't pay the tax really screws them up. Like I was telling uh, you guys earlier when I played a Vile Smasher Sakashima deck yesterday with our patrons, uh, I played Ristic Study on like turn four, and I didn't even play to draw cards. I played it because uh, Cameron, the player across from me, what like on the previous turn, it played like seven things from his hand, or that's how it felt. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. it, it, Sequence, yeah, out, like right. Oh, and so I literally yeah, yeah. said, "Hey guys, I'm playing Ristic Study. If you if you don't pay, then I draw cards. Cool, but I'm doing this literally to slow this player down. I looking at Wandering yeah, Archaic is, hey, yeah. I know you don't like what I'm doing, but this is just going to slow you down because now you literally can't further your board because now you got to pay two extra, or I'm going to get a copy of your counter and counter your counter. So that's how I look at yeah. that front yeah, side. But I will say the back side is very sexy as well." Explore the vast lands. Three colorless sorcery. Each player looks at the top five of their library, reveals a land and or instant or sorcery from among them, then puts the cards revealed this way into their hand and the rest on the bottom of their library in a random order. Each player gains three life. I could see a lot of times, Jim, where it's like, you know what? I, you, you talked about needing lands. I could see if you had this in your opening hand in four, you might hold on to it. And like, I'm sure in five turns I'll draw mm -hmm. a land, but if not, I got to explore the vast lands. I'll get to my fifth land. Yeah. Or sure. It's like, a yeah. Or the, the, for me, the best case scenario is, Oh, let me just go digging for an incident or sorcery. Let's just see what I get out of here. Let, let me, let me just see what I can start flipping. Uh, it's very, I, both sides are so good for this deck. Agreed. I thought I actually, funnily enough, I didn't put this in, in mind because I thought it was already in the deck. I was just like, yeah, he's got to have it in there. If I had built this this deck today, it would 100% be in it. I, in it. I have a uh, an extended art foil of that Ooh. card that I don't even think is in a deck right now. And Slam I might up. go grab it. Like, I have the deck 
two feet away from me and I might go and put that card in <laughs> Immediately like, before swap. I forget. Immediately yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it is a strict upgrade over Kozilek Channeler, which I, I do play slightly for the meme yeah. value. This probably could have made it into Spice because I do frequently talk about how I never play Soul Ring in this deck. <laughs> oh, so uh, you're and just this play is all a five, worst, specifically a five. Here we go: Kozilek Channeler, <laughs> Ancient Tomb, uh, Mana Crypt, Tomb. all the worst yes. ways that you can make Soul Ring. It either hurts yes. you or costs way too much yeah. mana. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah. uh, Tuck, why don't you give us your under fifty cut and add? Uh, so as I made mention, I'm going through and trimming a little bit of the fat from the free spells. Uh, I like all the shoal, soul, shoal cycles. Uh, I think Blazing Shoal is kind of the weakest of them. Um, X, double red for an instant arcane. You may remove a red card with converted mana cost X from your hand from the game rather than pay Blazing Shoal's mana cost. And then target creature gets plus X plus zero until end of turn. Again, I like the idea of it, but I do like the fact that the other shoals, Disrupting Shoals, or the black one, Sickening Shoal, actually do something that's a little bit more interactive with the board. I'm guessing you're not going to be doing a lot of attacking in this deck, so just having this in here just for that doesn't really... I, it just doesn't seem like the, the best one of this cycle. I have a feeling Mr. Combo is going to say exactly yeah, what it, I'm I think say. it's in here. <laughs> well, you just put it... You play it on... No, no. Else. You don't play it to put it on anyone. He's literally putting it in the deck to discard something and just randomly fling someone for nine or yeah. ten or whatever. I, no, totally... totally I, t I totally agree with that, and I heard that earlier. I'm just saying, of that cycle to do that, the other ones at least can kill a creature, counter a spell, potentially. Like, they have some upside. Yeah. For this one, outside of doing it on an opponent's creature to Voltron someone out kind of out of nowhere, I feel does the least of the cycle that's in the deck. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it'll, it's a it's a surprise blocker. Sure. Um, you know, if somebody attacks in and they're like, I'm attacking you with my 4-4 four, four commander or whatever because you only have a 2-3 out, you can just be like you know, Blazing Shoal and whatever, and they'll trade. For 100. A lot of the time it's not super profitable, but if there's a really threatening commander out, then I'll do it. Um, but yeah, I would agree. It is definitely the weakest. I would say, though, that it's got the most pitch targets in the deck because the deck oh, the is very red, red heavy. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a, a weird... Um, these these three particular spells, the Shoals, have gotten better since I moved away from Sakashima because I've got fewer artifacts in the deck. Mm -hmm. Um so they are sort of on the way to getting better, especially if I end up cutting like Metalwork Colossus. Yeah. Uh, and potentially Mirror Battles. I but, almost cut it. Um, I was so close. Yeah. yeah, I know. It's close. It's blockers oh, yeah. and it's yeah. big. And it's seven CMC. And, but so. it's, yeah, yeah, but it's like on the fence. Yeah. I would agree. But like if I end up moving away from the artifacts, the shoals, all of them are going to get better. Yes, um, for sure. But I would definitely agree that Blazing Shoal is the weakest of the three for sure. This one's a little bit more meat potatoes, but I noticed that you don't have a lot of, you don't have very much graveyard interaction of your opponents, at least. Um, and this deck really depends on its commander. So these kind of cards that give you a bonus if you have your commander, I think they're worth their weight in gold. So for me, uh, Savat's Will is a pretty solid inclusion as well. So four colorless and a black for an instant. Choose one. If you, cho if you control a commander, as you cast a spell, you may choose both. Each opponent sacrifices a creature they control with the greatest power and then exile all opponents' graveyards, and then create X-01 Black Thrall creature tokens, where X is the greatest power among creature cards exiled this way. So for me, this does kind of three things. The, the top one of each opponent sacrificing a creature with the greatest power can be good, but like the decks, you have other removal that can do that. But the fact that you're removing three creatures potentially, uh, removing three graveyards, and then getting a heap of blockers to defend against tokens, to defend against other creatures coming in, seems pretty efficient at five mana, especially at instant speed. Yeah. So meat kind of meat, might meet potatoes, but it just seemed like it'd be a good I thing. only like it for this deck because, A, it's a partner deck, so you have a 
I guess it would be a 200% chance of uh, getting both uh, <laughs> modes mm. and mm -hmm. the instant speed. I think if it was sorcery yep. or, um, you know, there was something that you had to have both your commanders out or, oh, if you have partners, they both have to be on the battlefield. I don't think the card would be good for the deck, but instant speed, you get to donk for five, get rid of three of the biggest things. And I've talked about how you're probably number one enemy uh, once people figure out like what you're doing. So you're getting hit a lot. So, you know, someone might yep. swing a blight mm -hmm. steal at you. Hey, you got nothing but vile smasher and I got trample. Let's see how much uh, infect damage I can get through. Oh, well, you know what? Why don't you go and sacrifice it? Um, and by the way, it's going to get, because it's all in that same blocks, so I'll exile it before its shuffle effect can go on the stack. Um, like, that kind of interaction is pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, I like it. More, more yeah. meat and potatoes. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get to the exciting part. I want to see what obscure, expensive cards Jim pulled out of his satchel. So, Jim, what are you going to cut from the deck, and what are you going to add if you had infinite money? It's a really tough one, because a lot of the cards that, uh, one of the very distinctive things about this deck is that the cards are very uniquely specifically suited to this okay. strategy and because they're not generally good <laughs> um they tend to be really cheap like we've said that a few times with cards in this particular episode that like you know this card is 10 cents because nobody yep. has ever played this card before outside right. of innistrad draft right so it's it's a really tough one because i actually you know i kind of take pride in that particular aspect of the deck as well it's uh when you play against you ever run into that situation where you play against somebody that's like they're playing Atali or they're playing clones or something like that and they're like i'm gonna steal your stuff and you're like oh no my yeah zendikar or whatever right right yeah yeah the 75 the 75 percent, but it's only it's only as good as your decks are that they're gonna take yeah away yeah but when when you play decks that are kind of like this and people steal stuff, you're like, have fun with this. It is a garbage <laughs> card. It is actually objectively terrible. Souls, you sack of shit. Yeah, like you know, you know that Yu-Gi-Oh meme that's like, you know, jokes on you. My grandfather's deck yeah. has no good or has only good cards. This one is like, my grandfather's deck has no good cards. There isn't a single one. My grandfather <laughs> built this at the dollar store. Uh, in the bargain bin, yeah, exactly. and the cards were literally uh, rubber banded together, twenty in a in a pile. Uh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, like literally none of these are good cards. <laughs> um, I'm I'm thinking back to when I uh, played this deck as an artifact deck, and I'm actually, oh, you know what? I just got to check and make sure that this card is still as expensive as I think it is. But uh, how expensive is Worm Coil Engine these oh, days? That's uh, it's a pretty penny, I'll tell you that. Oh, it's cheaper than I thought it was. It's like twenty bucks. Along the same lines, it's a tough one. If if like we said, we plan on shifting it into like say away from artifact synergy and into reanimation, Worm Coil tar Engine is yeah. a great target. Um, it's the kind of thing where, especially paired with a sack outlet, you can just get the tokens out. The infinite blockers, incidental life gain, just gives you a little bit more reach mm -hmm. into the late game. Um, it's the kind of thing that would make this deck better, and six is kind of just barely on the threshold for costing enough to justify its presence. What do you think you would cut from the deck? I, like I mentioned before, the Mirror Battlesphere is probably on yeah. the bubble, but I would also say that I haven't been getting good value out of Order Posts. They're not great. I might look at replacing those at some point with other yeah. three mana rocks, like the, um, the one that I mentioned, Cursed Mirror especially, maybe even Midnight Clock. Uh, but that's probably, I would probably pick the uh, Mistvain Border Post uh, is probably on its way out. Uh, I might also look at something like an X spell that is a little bit more expensive these days. We mentioned it earlier in the Meat Hook Massacre to replace oh, it. Oh, sure. Um, I think that that probably also fits. What do you think about the Needlebite um, Trap 
I mean, the life gain piece seems like it could be kind of like I was kind of complaining about, like if someone has a forest or a plains, life gain might be too yeah. risky for the single black. I mean, I get it. It's seven and it's an instant and it's a trap card, which is pretty cool. Um, and it makes them lose five life and you gain five. But I don't know. Maybe that's one. It's um, it's another casualty of mana bases getting better. Um, back when I built this deck it was like shortly after cons block and everybody was playing game lands in like every um, commander deck. And so I could roll this out like reliably on like turn one, <laughs> turn two, and I would start at 45 life because somebody would just be like, oh, I'm going to yeah. play whatever. The, and and um, most yeah, of the time they don't even say it. It's like, oh, I'm just going to play this again of life. And you're like, haha, listen here, yeah, right. black. Again of life. Uh, and you're like, me, you, lost, yeah, lost you've me, activated lost my sense. trap card, you know? <laughs> and uh, it was like a yeah. fun getcha, but uh, it's been so long since I've seen a gain land in Commander. And I don't know if that's just because I'm playing against people with larger budgets than I used to, but I feel like they're not as common in decks as they yeah, used to be. Yeah, I mean, you, we, I think I only see them with pre-cons. And if someone in our play group is literally upgrading a pre-con, and typically in our play group, lands are like the last thing to get upgraded because they are so expensive. Um, so, okay. Well, yeah, no, Wormcoil Engine's great. Um, I just played that yesterday. It caused my opponent to immediately use a removal spell, uh, because they did not want me making copies of it with Brutoclad. Uh, so yeah, it's a stupid good card, and you are right. I think six mana, if you're going to cut something from the deck, and you're wanting to get something that's not just pure ramp, you probably want it at that six mana or higher. So you actually feel like it's doing something. Yeah. I feel like whenever I Vile Smasher for three or four, it feels real bad. Like, there there are ways that I could ramp in this deck that are better. I could just toss in a Dockside Extortionist or a Jessica Scroll sure. or whatever, and like, it will make a ton of mana. That's not what this deck yeah. is looking to do. You know, if, if I wanted to build this deck so that it was playing a ton of stuff at two and three, I just would have built yep. it that way, you know? I think your identification of your battle sphere is right on. I think Worm Coil is just a better card than this. It's going to help you yeah. more, do probably deal a little more damage, gain more life in the long run. Well, mine, get ready. Tuck's going to roll his eyes, and that's fine. Uh, no, we're not talking about Alter of the Brood. Uh, so I'm going to cut Draco. I, I, yeah, <laughs> well, sure. I, I think I would leave it if you're in a five-color deck, but you're not. So uh, we, we lose out on four of the reduction on the uh, CMC. And you talked about it. You've gotten rid of a lot of your affinity stuff. Um, and I will say props to you for knowing that the effect's called Domain. I didn't even know that until I clicked on the card on the rules text actually said Domain. Uh, yeah. Domain. So yep. uh, that's great. But the card I think I want to add, I talked about how I want to be able to recycle your graveyard. Um, and this is a pet card of mine because in our playgroup... We have a lot of incidental mill. It just happens um, naturally. And it doesn't mean you're going to get milled out, but you're going to lose a lot of resources. And I've already talked about how I don't even play the rummage cards in red. Like, I'm not discarding to draw. Like, that's just not going to happen. I'll draw then discard so I can have a better choice, but I'm not going to do it blindly. And so I think this Eldrazi, for a cool $59 in Ultimate Masters, is really good for the deck because it actually does a lot of stuff that you want. So we're talking Kozilek Butcher. 10 CMC. Mm -hmm. That's a big donk. Roll eyes, eyes roll. Big, big donk. It's a 12-12. When you cast it, you're going to donk him for 10 and draw 4. I, I don't know about you, but I think if there was probably a sorcery that said... 10 mana, deal 10 damage to an opponent, draw four cards. It probably wouldn't get played a lot, but I bet you people would probably play it in some decks. 
Uh, but then we got the Annihilator 4. So, guys, if you're not familiar, whenever Kozilek attacks, it's going to make the defending player sack four permanents before blockers are even established. That's huge. You're eliminating your opponent's boards. But to me, Jim, if you play this, get your four, deal your ten, and it immediately gets spot removed, I'm good. Because really the reason I want it right. for your deck is the shuffle. When Kozilek's put into the graveyard, guys, right. from anywhere, its owner shuffles their graveyard into their library. Talked about, hey, combustible gear hork, do you want to do it? Oh, fine, we'll take the damage. Okay, well, Kozilek went in there. You're going to take 22, and my entire graveyard goes back into my library, and I got access to all the cards again. Or if you casted it and they murdered it, my favorite removal card, you still get to draw four. You still did 10 to someone, and now everything's back in. And I really don't think, unless you're going to say you're... Uh, like, card that you want to add that you didn't talk about, and I doubt Tuck's talking about it. Unless you're doing, like, Underworld Breach is, like, another way to win, which I don't think mm -hmm. you are. Um, I think Kozilek is a great way. It is a very, spi or a very spiky card, but I think you have developed a way like I have to where we could take super powerful stuff, and it doesn't have to be as back-breaking as it normally is. It can just be a fun way to kind of live within the deck. Yeah, well, you know, you positioned the card really well, and I think that you captured the essence of the deck really well in that if you reframe a card to, say, um, take its card text and add an amount of damage equal to its mana value, right, and then assess the card again, right, so when you look at cards like Searing Wind or whatever, it costs mm -hmm. 9 or it costs 10, and it deals 10 damage, right? That's the same rate as Fireball or better. Uh, and then if you if it actually resolves, it'll end up dealing 20 damage, which is a better yep. rate than Fireball, right? So in the context of this deck with Vile Smasher out, a single Vile Smasher out, it's 10 mana for 20 damage. With two Vile Smashers out, it's 10 mana for 30 damage, right? Uh, and that's yeah. a pretty good rate. When you look at something like, um, you know, Cruel Ultimatum, Cruel Ultimatum already a very good card, but when you add seven damage to it, it becomes yes. an exceptionally good card. Right. Um, or you look at something like Blast of Genius, where it's like, you know, draw three cards, discard a card, uh, and then it's going to deal damage equal to the card's converted mana cost plus six. Yes. Very good rate. And same with Kozilek, right? If you say it's 10 mana, draw four cards, uh, and you're going to donk somebody for 10. Even if that's it, that's mm -hmm. a pretty good rate, right? Then, on top of that, you're going to get a 10-10 body with an Annihilator 4, and it becomes an exception. Oh, sorry, Jim. It, it's a 12-12, it's so sir. Yeah. It's even bigger. Oh, right. <laughs> so, I don't know if you can tell, but I've I've lost my ability to to uh, assess cards based on what they actually do. It's just... It, it, <laughs> it's more, cost and cast triggers, that's all that matters. It, it's, all, it's more emotional yeah. feelings. Uh, Jim's just like, Kozlik, Butcher of Truth. Yeah. That, that gives me joy. It makes my opponents cry, so I like the card. Um... Yeah, I like. I should get this whole deck altered to just have no blank text boxes. <laughs> you know, no card text. It doesn't. What does it do? It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, that would be really funny for altar sleeves if they wanted to do like a cross to where they just make an altar sleeve to where it's it's a normal card frame, but literally it just blocks out the the flavor tech or the text, yeah, and you just have the, the power and toughness. Yeah. And it's like, what is that? Uh, it's yeah. just a ten drop that uh, can deal twelve on the ground. What else does it do? It just donks for ten. Yeah. You, you, you make the yeah. box dry erase, so you just write donk 10. Yeah, none, none of this card. Like, there's so many words on this, and none of them matter. <laughs> it's, it's funny you mention that, Jim, because I'm actually in the process of building a five-color all-text deck, because I got those all-text basic lands mm -hmm. uh, from mm -hmm. the secret layer. So I'm yep. making a deck to where every single card has a bajillion lines of text, and my gimmick is mm -hmm. that 
every time I play a card, and I actually just got to do this yesterday, Tuck, with the Terramorphic Expanse, I have to read all the text before the card can resolve, <laughs> and I do that until my opponents say, stop, you jerk, and then I know I've won. F- F6. I- I've officially won. No interest. Is this an Alexander Climbleton deck? Because I feel like it should be. Oh, that could be cool. There's your rule zero conversation, Mr. Combo. Get back on yeah. Twitter. Alexander Clamilton. Hit it up. Silver border text is uh, is hot yeah. right now. Uh, I know for sure, though, I you am going to argue put, for Clout. What's it? Chains of Mephistus in there? Mephistus. Yeah, I have no idea how it works. I'm just going to let it resolve and say, hey, let's figure this out together. It'll be a journey. How does it work? It doesn't matter. It has Nobody knows what it does. So anyways, I think Kozilek is very cool for this deck, and I get it. It is a overplayed card very expensive it's like ristic study it's like duh but i think this card can be played to literally fit what you want from this deck and it doesn't need to turn into this oh well i'm doing 12 12s with annihilator four and i'm just oppressing everyone you could literally never swing with this and i think you would still be happy yep yep yeah i would agree. all right tuck bring us home I got a good I got a good one. It's certainly not one that we've ever talked about before, but I Hit as me mentioned it. earlier, I'm gonna be cast is I'm gonna be cutting Massacre um, for mm-hmm. the same reasons I talked about. Of these same cards that you cast for free, I think they all are have their pros and cons. If you're playing something that has a little bit more tokens, Massacre makes more sense. Um, if you're playing something where it's a little less maybe command more commander focused, Submerge is probably a better option there. Just I I think they're all fine, but this is just the worst of the bunch, in my opinion in terms of what it actually Fair. does. Um, and and we talked a lot about giving opponents choice. We're going to give them a lot of, we're going to give them the ultimate choice because this could very well be a one-sided tormented hailfire depending on what they want to go into it. Choice of damn nations. I don't it's know. It's a what classic. This card does. Everyone knows it from Saviors of Kamigawa for $12.60. This rare costs 5 colorless and a black for a sorcery that's arcane. Target opponent chooses a number. You may have that player lose that much life. If you don't, that player sacrifices all but that many permanents. Right. So you're putting it into their hands. It's like a what kind of a bizarro potential one-man torment of hellfire, depending on their uh-huh. board state and their life total. As made mention, on the on the surface, you're donking for six. You're paying six, donking for six. But the upside of this, you could slow down someone who has a giant board state that you need to slow down, knock someone mm-hmm. down some life. I just like the fact that it's it's a two-way interaction. They have to choose, and then you get to seal their fate depending huh. on what they chose. I like the obscure aspect of this. This is um, totally the type of card that ended up on my like deck building table when I was building this deck. I had a yep. whole bunch of just absolute Bizarro garbage on the table. Don't do anything. It sure. was just like, nobody's ever heard of this card. I'm going to have to read this every time <laughs> I cast it from now until the end of time. You know? But yes, this is absolutely the type of card that fits in this deck. I 100% agree. Um, somebody's going to make the wrong choice here because yep. they're just going to pick a number. And then they're going to find know, out six, how whatever, long they you were. Know? Yeah. Yeah, and then they'll find out exactly how So I have a question then for Jim. Say you do play this and an opponent picks six. Let's just say they have 12 permanents and they're at 20 life. What do you pick? Do you say, hey, get rid of half your permanents? Do you take them down essentially 25%, 30% of their life because you're doing so much damage? It almost seems like as much as you're giving your opponent a choice, once they make that choice, they're kind of giving you one where it's like, what do I want you to do? Yeah. You know what this is? It's factor fiction, right? Like you're... (laughs) 
you're you're giving your opponent a choice and then they're sending it back to you and saying <laughs> now you have to make a choice based on my choice oh that's great and i would say if it is at all similar to fact to fiction in practice it is probably a, an extremely difficult card to play correctly and i'm probably going to get yes. it on most times oh, i want to see that on stream right now i feel like a lot of people would pick a large mm-hmm. number for this you know, because they're just like, oh, life totals a resource. So what's it matter? But little do they know that you have a nine blast you in the face card coming around next turn. Yeah. Well, and so that's that's one of the things like I play Havoc Festival in this deck because I think getting people to low life totals. Um, I, I just think that I'm the person, you know, when you play. OK, I don't know if you ever play World, World Fire before, but World Fire is a bet that you can get the first damage in after yep. the World Fire. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Havoc Festival is a bet that you'll be able to deal lethal damage to somebody mm-hmm. first right so that the second somebody hits like under 10 life that you'll be able to dunk them for 10 and seal the game right That's this cool. is the kind of thing where um i feel like people would charge out would would pick a large number and i would pick the life i i don't think that a lot of people in the late game would volunteer to sacrifice half their permanence right maybe they yeah. would Maybe if they've got a token deck or whatever. Or they're just at a low um, life total. Maybe you've been donking them the entire game. And it's like, hey, you're at six. I pick you. What do you want to do? Yeah, at some point, this doesn't become a choice, right? Like, it's kind of like with Combustible Gear Hulk, right? If I want to draw the cards, I pick somebody. Oh, absolutely. And then they're never going (laughs) to. Well, it's it's kind of like Atrios as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And with that, guys, we're at the end of the episode. And hopefully you enjoyed it. And if you did, leave some of that positive feedback in a whatever star review you think makes others in the algorithm world find our content. And if you'd like to get a hold of everyone here, here's how you could do that. You can reach me at Mr. Commodore 5 on Twitter, all spelled out except for the five. Big Tuck. Whose birthday was it this week? No one, because I have been taking a break from Twitter with everything going on recently. So at Big Tuck tweeting, uh, but I will be back on there this week with the birthday. There we go. Uh, you can reach our main account at CMD Tower on Twitter as well. Uh, you can also go to our website where we will have the deck list posted with uh, Jim's uh, with Jim's content creation information. So you know how to find all the spike feeder content, see the deck list, see our picks at cmdtower.com slash bnbe115. Basically, just type in Cruel Ultimatum, Metalwork Colossus, Dark Petition, Tower.com. Jim, once again, shameless plug time, as our friends over at MTG Lexicon love to say. Tell us where people can find the Spike Feeder content and maybe any individual ventures you may have. Yeah, well, I kind of mentioned them earlier in the episode. I run a channel called The Spike Feeders. We also have a second YouTube channel called Spike Feeders Fab that uh, is related to Flesh and Blood, not magic content. And uh, you can reach us on Twitter at the Spike Feeders, or if you want to reach me directly, uh, which sometimes people do if you want to talk uh, format stuff, because I'm also in the Commander Advisory Group, you can reach me at uh, JimTSF on Twitter as well. And you can, uh, if you liked the video content, the audio content, have thoughts, feelings, things on that, be sure to hit up our editor at underscore TCoats on Twitter. Tyler does editing for many different content creators across the Magic community. Uh, I know he is definitely trying to take the audio-visual piece and make that into a career so you know we're super thankful that he puts the time in to do our editing uh but you know what he's wanting to be a professional he wants to know how he can be better let us know whether it's a private dm a comment on youtube whatever let us know what you guys want to see if you want to see our ugly mugs on video we could do that if you just like hearing audio but you just want to hear me talk in the stupid high-pitched canadian voice from uh uh grown-ups i could do that as well even though i'm terrible at that bit uh, there's lots of things that we could do to kind of keep you guys entertained. You just need to let us know what you would like to see or hear. 
Now, if you would like to support us so we can continue to improve the content with additions, upgraded cameras, microphones, stuff like that, head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash cmdtower. We have all the different tiers like we talked about earlier. Of course, the big one um, is... We will have our sweater for sale. I believe, though, when this episode comes out, our patron early access discount uh, has gone away. But, you know, because of the, we kind of had to do a snafu with recording, if you guys are listening to this this weekend and you do want to become a patron and get the $20 discount on the sweater, just go ahead and join. Shoot us a message. Just say, hey, just listen to the Jim from Spike Feeders episode. Didn't know about the sweater and the discount. I want to join and sign up. And we'll be more than happy to give you the discount. But it is going to be limited quantities. We we only got 70 of them total. Um, they should be here around mid to end of December, and we'll ship them in anywhere in North America. So uh, go buy them. They're awesome. Uh, they're insanely, <laughs> insanely soft. I can't stop wearing mine. Uh, it probably smells of loser because I don't think I've washed it since the Drinkathon, which I definitely lost at. <laughs> oh, gross. I, I haven't worn it every day. It's been like two days. Okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> uh, I got like 30 other Christmas sweaters I rotate through. Uh, and of course, guys, if you're an existing patron and you want to recommend someone to the community in our patron, have them message us. Let us know when you get people to join because we want to reward you for being an amazing collective member, for growing the community, for supporting the community. And we're going to do that with a little tchotchke things. That, you know, if they join the Mr. Con number five tier, maybe we send you a playmat. It could even be the new foil one we're coming out with. Who really knows? We're going to hook you guys up, though, with some really cool free swag for just growing the channel. Now, if you don't want to join a monthly subscription or maybe you're anti-government you know, and all of that, but you secretly want to get some swag, so you got to send me a, a mail order check and do it via the uh, Pony Express, we do have a store at cmdtower.com slash merch. They are accessible at your local library uh, if you don't believe in the internet either. Uh, and you can buy all of our stuff on there. Our patrons, there is an exclusive sweater link with a passcode. So just make sure you go to Patreon or into the Discord to get the passcode. Uh, so that way you can access the $30 or the $30 sweater with the $20 discount. Um, but yeah, just head into the store, buy a bunch of stuff. I mean, we have our own branded sleeves, multiple playmats now, tokens, coins, stickers, all that kind of stuff. So if you want to support CMD Tower, head over there. So, we're at the end of the episode. Jim, we talked about how Sakashima likes to play Freaky Friday with the Smasher. How do you feel, A, the discussion went for being your first time on CMD Tower, and B, do you feel like we were able to talk about the deck and the spirit that you built it, and has this given you any fresh ideas? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I mentioned it a little earlier, but I do think that you guys nailed exactly what I was going for with the deck, yeah. and I appreciate yeah. that a lot. Because I, I do find that... Um, People have a tendency when they're giving deck advice to just recommend good cards. <laughs> and that's not always what yeah. they're going for, you know? Unlike those people, your guys's, uh, your guys' recommendations were all piles of shit, so... Yeah, thanks. that's good. That's what we're going for with this deck, right? Like, I know yeah. how to build good decks. I build good decks when I'm building good decks. This is not a good deck. <laughs> I know that. And uh, that's not what I was going for. So, um, yeah, I definitely appreciate that. Like, I've got a deck that is... Um, it's all based around creatures that have a power and toughness that add up to seven for a while. All player, right. Right? Yeah. Uh, and sure. no. every single deck, every single creature in the deck has power plus toughness equals seven. And because it's so centrally focused on wild pair, people are like, well, why don't you play Academy Rector? And I'm like, sorry, does Academy Rector have power and toughness that adds up to seven? I like, thought not. Like, no, it doesn't. So it doesn't go in the deck, Jeremy. 
Um, I'm not talking about Jeremy Noll. That was just the first name that, that uh, popped into my head. But Shots fired. Yeah, don't don't at Jeremy Noll. Yeah, or maybe do. Oh, speaking know. of which, well, it looks like the old Twitter machine's going to be yeah, I know. posting tonight. Oh, no. I'm the main character today. Uh, we um, Yeah, so I, I do really appreciate the fact that you kind of captured the uh, what I was going for with the deck. And I do think that your recommendations were definitely in. So, yeah, real, real good. Yeah, I'll here. say from uh, the discussion and reading the deck, I was... Because I'm familiar with your guys' content, but I'm not intimately familiar with it. And so, you know, I and I don't know if maybe it's changed. To, I know you described your channel as like, sometimes we do tune stuff. We just kind of play whatever we feel like playing. I don't know if that's maybe a recent change in the last like year or two. But I thought I remember when I first got into Magic, you guys were a little bit more on the competitive side, a little bit more on the tune decks. And so initially my thought, just spike feeders, thinking I had a notion of what your channel was, it's like, oh, well, this is probably just some Vile Smasher discussing Sakashima deck. Like we did a CEDH month last year with the CEDH channel and uh, they did a Corvold deck and it was just Corvold um, Dockside and, that, and it was just, everything was that and it was yeah. just mm -hmm. so linear and so boring uh, mm -hmm. to talk about at least. I'm sure to play, it's a blast. But this, it was like, oh, like there's some, like you've said, inherently just bad cards. Cards people don't play. Mm -hmm. And so that immediately made me very interested. And then as we've gone through and you've and I, you know, you kind of confirmed some of the things that I had thought about, like with some of your hybrid costs and some of the X costs, like those are pretty cool ways to use Vile Smasher. I love that you kind of did a top-down build, like everything, it is a Vile Smasher deck, but now you have like 10 or 15 different ways to do Vile Smasher things without Vile Smasher. But then if you have Vile Smasher, it's just Vile Smasher, yeah. Vile Smasher. So I think a lot of that's very, yeah. very cool. Uh, massive props. Hopefully I get to see this deck at some point. Uh, I just hope I see none of the recommendations yeah. I made um, because that would make me sad. We we actually, initially we did do pretty almost exclusively CDH, but again, it kind of fit into our into our um, theme of we played whatever yeah. we thought was sweet, but we kind of had a bit of an ax to grind with the community because we felt that CDH was getting yes. a pretty bad rap. But so basically what our what our goal was with the channel was to show people that you could still have like a social and light atmosphere when you're playing CDH that it's not like yeah. headphones in, sunglasses <laughs> on, like hoodie hoodie up, like World Series yeah. of Poker kind of kind of gameplay. And so that's why we we started with face cams and stuff like that. It, it's a hard way to do content. It it like sucks if I'm being real. It's hard. Um but we wanted to show people that like the sociality doesn't stop at any point along the spectrum that you're playing. So we we kind of felt that we needed to show people a little bit more CDH when we started. And then that attitude has largely changed quite a bit. And so we've kind of shifted to the middle. And now we're just kind of doing that's awesome. Well, uh, I, I felt the same way looking at this deck, um, but I think, cause I think Vile Smasher is just like, it's everywhere, right? And I think a lot of them are built very similar, um, but I did like that you really leaned into the free spells and those big spells too. So this this was a fun one, to, the fun one to go through. Yeah, for sure. And then the last thing that I have to make a comment on is where the hell did you get those islands? Those are probably the sweetest islands I've ever seen. Uh, the Azorius Senate. Which, which islands are we talking about? The Azorius Senate. These aren't these aren't the actual. Oh, islands really? That I, See, I, I figured since ah. you had a marked as like, wheel, they're like them. this weird old Ravnica block. You're the only person that marks their land, their basic land. I'm just. Out. Oh, oh I know sweet. they're super sweet and, and like eighteen bucks. Where? That's a little expensive, but I'd like. I wouldn't mind getting one. Yeah, these are like OG. Ravnica. Yeah, those are great. Oh. Well, uh, Jim, it's been great having you on. Thank you so much. Hopefully, we'll have you for a new segment in the future because I would love to have a competitive commander 
friendly discussion. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. All right, everyone. Well, I hope everyone has a great night, ate a billion pounds of turkey, and hopefully all that translates into food tokens. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.